What's up, podcast world? Chad Belding back at you with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody, coming at you from a new part of the country now. We left Kansas City yesterday, got to Phoenix last night, and we were welcomed with open arms to the home of the Bellator heavyweight champion of the world, Bellator light heavyweight champion of the world, Bellator Grand Prix heavyweight champion of 2018. He hails from Reno, Nevada, now resides in the Phoenix, Arizona area where he's made his fight career after an awesome, awesome Division One wrestling career at Arizona State University. He was a stud football player in high school, decided to go to the mat for his college career and his education. And from there, the sky's been the limit for Mr. Ryan Bader. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Mojo Outdoors, Monroe, Louisiana, Terry Dem and Mike, Mike uh, Morgan and the boys down there. We appreciate everything they do for all of our brands here at the Foul Life and Banded. We can't wait to be back in those peanut fields, back in those pea fields up in Canada with the Mojos running in the Mallard ducks responding to them like there's no tomorrow so if you're looking for a powerful experience if you're looking to watch mallard ducks do what mallard ducks were put on this earth to do check out mojo outdoors and look at the new king mallard or the new king series that mr terry and the boys have put out thank you so much check them out at mojooutdoors.com for more information on them you can also check out new episodes of the foul life airing right now on the outdoor channel so ryan bader my man thank you so much for welcoming us in how are you I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. It was a, a, what can I say, a pleasure to watch what happened today in the octagon, five rounds of sparring. Yep. And it didn't seem, I mean, there was times where you could tell that you weren't like going 100% all out, but for, for it seemed to me like you're in fight shape, like you're ready for a five round battle. Yeah, I know for sure. You know, uh, today is kind of the hardest day of, of the week, uh, five rounds with the you know, a couple guys kind of sprinkled in, but I brought in a training partner from Brazil that kind of mimics Czech Congo. And, uh, you know, we build up to Fridays, we go hard, you know, we're, we're not blasting our partner. You know, if I took somebody down, I'd be trying to get up and blast them in the face, you know, but you know, I have the, you, you break your toys, you're not going to have any left, you know? And so, um, we kind of go easy there, but we're going harder on our feet. We're kicking hard. We're throwing hard punches. Takedowns are hard. Um, grappling hard and a little lighter on ground and pound. But other than that, we're, you have to simulate a fight, you know, if you want to uh, feel your best in the actual fight for sure. So what happens in an instant like that? Do you, do you look for size, height, arm reach? Do you look for things that are similar to the opponent coming up, which in this case is in like 15 days from now in September, right? And it's Czech Congo. Yeah. We're three, exactly three weeks out. Um, yeah. So if, it depends on the opponent, right? If I have, if I'm fighting a, a wrestler that that light heavyweight, we have enough of those. You know, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna find guys that I've I've trained with. But it's always good to have a new guy come in. You kind of get that nervousness, like, you know, like you would have in a fight because it's a new guy. You haven't sparred him yet. You don't know, you know, how he's gonna react, tendencies, what or whatever that comes with it. Um, for heavyweight, you got to have big athletic guys. You have to have good guys that are you know, good kickboxer or wrestler, whatever that have that mass or have that height. And that's, what's hard to find at heavyweight. And so we picked up, um, he's a Brazilian guy named Antonio. Uh, we saw he was training with, uh, Tiago Santos and Tiago Santos brought him in to mimic John Jones and the guy's six, six, he's 235 pounds, you know, big boy, good, good striker and black belt on the ground. And so, um, my coach is Brazilian, kind of got in contact with, you know, uh, the Jimmy trains down there and, and he wanted to come up, you know, he wanted to come up and get uh, new experiences with, with top fighters and all that. And, you know, obviously pay him to come up and whatnot, but, um, you try to mimic your opponent as 
as well as you can because you, you don't want to keep going with the guys you've gone with for 10 years that I know every movement you're going to make and what you're going to do off that, right? right? I don't know what this dude's going to do, you know, and he's he's there to kind of mimic, uh, you know, your opponent and you pay him so you can go kind of hard on him too. Right. So when you said that Tiago brought him in for his last fight with John Jones, which he was, uh, it was a success for him. There, yeah. It could have went either way when the decision was made in that fight and a lot of, a lot of you know, professionals' opinions when I started breaking down the fight afterwards and listening to all the, you know, the columnists and all the, the um, analysis on it. When he's in that octagon with you though, does he have videotape of all these Czech Congo fights like you would do in baseball or a football game when you're scouting, you know, and, and, and looking at what your opponent might do. He's looking at his stances, the way he dangles his arms, the way that he might try to lure you in or the way that he, like you said that, you know, sometimes they don't come forward because the fighter's not known for that. He lets them come to you or something like that. So yep. he, he's watching video to try to, to be just like Chet. Yeah. He, and he speaks no English too, you know, but my coach is Brazilian. And so my coach, you know, he, he, the training partner has studied, Watch all of the Czech Congo's fights, you know, a couple times and he continues to do it throughout the training camp. I'm going to have him come to my fight and he's going to be in my corner, you know, because he's a great body to have the week of when we're drilling and all that kind of stuff. But he's trying to mimic exactly if he, you know, even if he's talking shit or something like that, you know, he'll mimic that, you know. And so um, that's what, you know, we bring him into. And he's he's watched all those fights. And if he's doing something that is more along of how he fights, like Antonio, my coach will check him like, hey, Congo goes backwards or whatever, you know. And so um, you definitely have to have good people around you. And, uh, you know, we checked him out before we brought him in. And, and we try to do that. I think that's how, you know, coming through, I've wrestled my whole life. You know, I've gone like, oh, you're tired? You go harder, right? Got into MMA, didn't really know what we were doing. And we had coaches where we're like, we don't know any better of anything, right? Just go. And so we finally, after 30-something fights, we, we kind of – we found the magic sauce, right? Right. We know the foundation we need to build around a training camp, who we got to bring in. And for me, that's having good coaches around me and bringing in those guys that I need. I don't need a huge, huge team, you know, and I'm not getting any uh, uh, looks from the coach or anything like that. You know, you build a team around yourself. That's what, you know, Stipe does at UFC heavyweight, you know, fighting for the heavyweight title coming up here. And a lot of the guys do. And uh, you need guys, bring them in. You know what I love about being that up close to it is I guess it's just like anything. It, it looks easy mm. when you're watching it on TV. It, like you guys get in there and you watch a five round fight. You got th five minutes per round. That's 25 minutes of physical activity and physical activity in, in my world means, you know, the hard things that I would do are, are pull-ups or a rope climb, or maybe a farmer's walk with a 45 pound plate in each hand and walk 400 meters. You got dead body weight laying on top of you. You got fists flying at you, legs flying at you. You got knees, you got elbows, you have, you're rolling, you got submissions, you got different holds. When you watch it, how much goes into it? And then you see somebody of where you're at in your career, you're, you're in amazing shape physically. You're, you're, you do what, you know, just what your hat says. You're like got eight man strength, like farm boy strength. Yeah. And it just seems like there's no way that somebody could get in that kind of that could tolerate that. I mean, even the best boxers in the world went 12, three minute rounds, but to see you guys be that in shape when you have that much going on, I think that's why MMA is so is looked at as like the new fighting sport, you know, by it used to be the sweet science of boxing, but I don't think, I think that there still is boxing. I'm not saying there's not, but MMA is emerged as the force, right? When it comes to combat sports. Well, yeah. Then you think about it, 
you know, we, we just don't have to like watch out for punches or anything like that. We have to watch out for takedowns, kicks, you know, trickery of it all, you know, and, uh, you know, it's people who look at that and are like, oh, it's not too bad. You know, if you've ever like wrestled around with a friend or anything like that for a couple of minutes, you're exhausted. Right. And it takes a good, I mean, it takes a lifetime. Right. But I'm always training. And then I put a eight weeks hard, like two or three a days, you know, and then, uh, you got to periodize your training where, you know, you have to back off a little bit. Like right now we're like in the mix of it where I'm, I'm dead tired, you know, and I'm coming into sparring. My body's tired. I put in a good hard, hard five weeks already, you know, but you got to gut it through, go in there, get your five rounds. It's, it's 25 minutes of physical fighting. And not only that, you have a guy tr coming at you trying to take your head off. And you see a lot of it in guys that are like practice superstars in, in training, whatever, but they get in a fight and that adrenaline starts going and they tie up one time, they get on the fence or whatever, and they're, they're smoked, even though if they're in good shape, because you have that, the emotional side of it too, a guy trying to come in, in there and take your head off and you realize, oh, it's not sparring. It's not my friend, you know, that we're sparring around and getting ready. This guy's trying to kill me, you know? And so you have that aspect of it too. So, um, we, we have to get everything in. We have to get, you know, obviously our technical stuff in, I come from a wrestling background, so I have that kind of ingrained in me and, and how to work hard and how to get an end result by putting it in the work. But I had to learn and I still am learning stand up jujitsu. I got to get my cardio in, I got to get my lifting in. And I do some other stuff like high altitude, you know, things that, it, you know, little extra stuff so I can feel the best when I walk out on that night, you know, and there's a crowd there, the adrenaline's going and you're about to fight 25 minutes with a new guy that you've only seen here and there or in pictures or watch fight, you know, on their videotapes, but you've never stood across the octagon from them. Right. And what I, you said a word um, earlier today, we were talking about the new energy shots that mm -hmm. you and your brother-in-law and I do a lot of training. Obviously, I'm not saying that I train like you, but it, within our training with my trainers in Reno, where you're from, we train a lot of cognitive thinking, meaning that we have light boards where, you know, you have all, you know, like frowns and sad faces and then one smiley face. And you got to find the smiley face on one of these seven boards and tap it either with your hand or a noodle. Then you turn around and you have numbered cones that you got to go one through 12, but they're not in order. So you're always thinking. So as an MMA fighter and you're standing across that octagon from that new opponent, cognitive thinking plays a big role in it because you're, you can't just look for hands from here and then look for a jab or a hook, like you're saying, or a cross or an uppercut. Yeah. The, when you landed that calf kick on him today, he, I would have been in an ambulance. And I'm not just saying that, like I heard it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that guy, and he hurt him. He was hurt and he couldn't put a lot of weight on that foot. So my point is, is like your cognitive ability to get into that octagon. You're not just going in there and being an ape. You're not just throwing hands and being strong, right? You're, you're, you have to go in there and really have to have a sought after plan. And even if your approach is there and your game plans dialed in, he, he could mess it up within 10 seconds and make you do something different. If you're not on your a game with your cognitive thinking. Yeah. You got to go in you go in with a, a game plan, right? And you go in with a rough game plan, knowing that it can change at any moment. Cause I can go out there. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go out and do this, or I'm going to go out and take a guy down. What happens if you don't get that takedown? And a lot of guys you'll see kind of fold if stuff doesn't go their way. And then they're like, Oh, what do I do now? So you constantly have to adapt. And so, you know, have contingency plans and ABC all the way down the line, you know, and uh, a big part of it is handling those nerves and everything going into a fight. You know, it's all, it's all fun and games. You're like, oh, I'm eight weeks out. I'm oh, four weeks out. A week of, okay, I'm leaving the fight. All right, I got five days until the fight. Don't worry about it. And then you're like in bed the night before. You're like, I'm fighting another guy 
not just another guy, a guy that's earned his way to a title shot, you know, tomorrow night. Yeah. And so for me, like the, the day of is like rough as far as nerves and all that hard to eat, but I've done it so many times. I know that's, I'm going to be fine. I always perform. A lot of guys can't do that. They let those nerves get to, you know, get to their head and they're 50% of themselves that they are in the gym. So, you know, going in there and have a, having a good cognitive ability to, all right, bring all the, all that down, all that clutter, get it out of your, out of your head. You know, when it starts there, you've never been in a fight where you, I've never walked out of there and be like, man, I didn't want to be in there. Right. And so I enjoy it every time win or lose. And it's one of those things where, all right, I go in there, I see how he reacts. I try to read him. I, I read his energy and his body, you know, okay, this guy's really hard to take down or really strong in the first round. And then all of a sudden I see him kind of falling a little bit. Okay. I'm and I, I pick up that pressure and I've, I've, I've done it so many times. I can feel when a, a guy's about to break too. And I've, there've been, there've been times in fights where I've gotten a position. I start hammering on a guy and I know for a fact they weren't hurting him that bad, but he kind of rolls over and gives it, gives it up and gets TKO'd to get out of there. You know, they don't want to be in there. So it's a huge mental game for sure. And, and the approach wasn't more, has never been more evident in my experience of watching MMA or boxing than your last fight. You're fighting what would be coined the greatest of all time, the, a legend, um, th- uh, Fedor is that guy that, you know, he walks out and you're like, who in the hell is this guy? He's like, I've heard things like he looks like he's in a museum because he's just like walking around looking like this. Yeah. And then he's gotten in there for his entire career and just destroyed people. He's had some losses yeah. and he's a veteran, but you still are in the octagon with Fedor, Emilianako, Emilianako. Yeah. And your game plan was never more evident than after the fight when some videos leaked out of your preparation, even in the, I don't know what they call it, but the green room or the prep room before you go into the fight, you were practicing that, that left and, and you were ready for it. And not only did it happen in the fight, it happened in the first round. You knocked out considerably or arguably the greatest of all time in the history of MMA. So, I mean, right there, I'm I'm, first off, congratulations, but what, what, like, was that, was it easy? Was it just too easy no, for you? I, no, I'll, I'll take that all day. You know, uh, the build up to the fight. Yeah, you're fighting one of the legends, and you know, I looked up to him, one of my favorite fighters. You know, so that I told myself, let's not put him on a pedestal, right? Um, and that's what I try to do throughout camp. I knew I was a better fighter at this moment in our careers. You know, I'm the best I've ever been in my career, and I knew I could uh, out condition him. I knew I could use my wrestling. You know, you're. But I also knew that I was running into a buzzsaw. Like you approach Fedor and he's throwing a combo at you, trying to take your head off every single time. And he walked through the tournament and made it to the finals doing that, you know, knocking out the two guys who TK own them. You know, so you kind of have that like, oh shit, I'm fighting Fedor kind of, you know, and then they're like, all right, we're doing the national anthem before in the in the cage. I've never, usually you get in there, you touch gloves, and they do the little, you know, you ready, ready, touch gloves and you fight. So that was added another almost 10 minutes, you know, and so you're cooled down did they do now. both of them? They did the Russian one and, yeah, the national anthem too. And then you're like, holy shit, all right, I'm cool now. I'm not even, I'm not warm anymore. We've been standing across from, you know, arguably one of the best heavyweights ever. And now we're about to fight, you know, after that little lull. And uh, it's kind of crazy, you know, I was hearing like USA chants and all that, and it kind of got me back up. And we start the fight and I'm I'm testing where his where he's about to throw and I, you can read you know their bodies you can read it in their eyes and and I'm going in there and I'm kind of seeing where that line is right and I kind of I, I catch where that line is because I can feel his body kind of 
twitch a little bit, like he's about to throw a right hand. I'm like, all right, there, there's a line where if I go into that line, he's coming back at me with a combo. If I stay outside of it, he's going to kind of let me do what I want to do. So I went right to that line and I knew he had, he has his hand, hands down always. He wants, he'll take one to give three, you know? And so, um, I knew if I stepped in, I would catch him with that left. So I went right to that line with my foot kind of fainted and threw that weird kind of hook and just landed right on the button. And right when I landed, I saw him kind of go back. I was, I was kind of thinking to myself, holy shit, that's it right here. Like, this is how it's going to end. And I went in and gave one more punch. They, uh, they called it. And then it was just, it was a super cool, obviously a moment in my career. One of the pinnacles of your career, um, beating Fedor, a guy who I idolize winning the grand prix tournament at heavyweight and let alone doing it to, uh, to capture a second belt. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. And I had friends and family, you know, throughout that uh, arena. And so I got up on the cage. I saw a bunch of them. And it was just a really cool, surreal experience. Where was it? It was in L.A. at the forum, yeah. To be honest, Bader, does Big John, like, put his hand over the microphone and look at you and go, holy shit. Like, yeah, you, just yeah, you have in. relationships with those Big guys. Big John yeah. say something like, you got to be kidding yeah, me. Because you you know, he interviewed you after the fight. Yeah, they come in and they're like, man, congratulations. Like, what the hell was that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it worked, though, right? And so, uh, you know, it... Anytime a fight ends like that, it's definitely shocking, but let, let alone to cap that off for the heavyweight, you know, finals of the Grand Prix, you know, to, for the vacant heavyweight title. It, it was just uh, the perfect storm, really. And now you got two belts. Got two belts. At that know. night, as of that night, that you got two belts around. So they gave me, so I had the light heavyweight belt, I had the heavyweight belt, and, and then, then I have Prix. a super cool Grand Prix belt that has all our names on it. Which, is that like the Stanley Cup where you got to give it back next year if you don't win it? No, no. Winner, so you, you, get get to keep, it? you get to keep all those belts, but that that one's special because it has your name. It's one of a kind, obviously. Um, has everybody's names in the tournament, and then you know Grand Prix champion. So it's cool to get some hardware. Um, but now you got a big target on your back, right? Being a champ, you have a target on your back, but holding up two of those belts, you know, oh you gosh. have everybody trying to come it, after you. Couple couple comments and questions on shit talking in the fight game. And I want your opinion on shit talking because you're not a big shit talker. Yeah. Um, there's several fighters like Dan Hendo Henderson was not a shit talker. Yep. Fought several guys that were, but he'd just sit there and whatever. Bisbing was one of the biggest smack talkers in the history of the sport, probably. Yeah. He's pretty good at it. Yeah. For a Hall of Fame career to do what he did, win the the, the heavyweight or the light heavyweight title. Um after that fight, Chael Sonnen, who I listen to his podcast once in a while, mm -hmm. and I never can get a read on him. I've talked to guys like Kendo about him. I've talked to Uriah Faber about him, and he's a sharp cat. There's no doubt about oh, it yeah. that Chael's, he's smart, and he's a moneymaker. He knows where to what, what to say, when to say it. Did he get under your skin when you came back with the comment that after he made the comment, when you came back on him and, and, and you, you kind of fought back a little bit? First of all, he got destroyed by Fedor a few months before in that Correct, tournament, yeah. in that Grand Prix tournament. You just went in there and knocked the guy out with a left hook in under a minute. And now he comes back at you with kind of like, well, you still haven't fought the best. Almost like that Chelson and I'm undefeated, never lost a fight yeah. in my life kind of attitude, right? Yeah, so he was fighting Machida and he came back and he's like, I don't know if I'm going to give Ryan Bader the fight, you know, meaning with him. You know, and when I hold the title and Is whatever. he joking? Yeah, well, Chell's a good guy. And like you said, he's a smart dude. And I know what Chell's doing. And, uh, but I also wanted that fight too. You know, Chell brings a certain notoriety to a fight and he's going to talk. He's going to be funny. Um, and uh, I wanted that fight 100%, you know, after I, after I fight Chet Congo. Um, then he went out there and he lost to Machida. 
And then uh, I had a text the next morning. He's like, hey, buddy, you know, you know, I love you, respect you. And uh, I tried to make it happen for us, but, you know, I'm retired and now I get to promote you. You know, he's a good dude. So it's a plan the whole you time. Know, he's a smart guy and he knows how to get under people's skin. And he did he, he get under your skin? No, no, because I, I kind of know what he's doing. But um, like that's how he he was successful. If you think about Chill Sun and like he went in there, he was wrestle guys. Not a lot of people knew him. And then he started with uh, the smack talking. Right. Yeah. And. and his smack talking is a little different than other people's. It's funny because in a lot of it, you know, is he'll he'll find out stuff, whatever. But and then look what he did and to get title shots. He got three title shots in UFC because of it. You yeah, know, one was Silva. He almost beat Silva. Yeah. You know, and so it's worked for him, and he's gonna he's kept that up. You know, and and even in the Grand Prix, we rode back in the bus with him um, on the way back after he just got beat for, by Fedor. But when I walked in the ring or the cage to you know square off with Fedor. Uh, Chell was like, boy, did I have a good promo for you? And I'm like, I'm sure you did, buddy. <laughs> but he, he's doing, he does it right, you know? He's, he's a good sure. guy. The other smack-talking question is, how in – I'm going off of when you came out of ASU and you started getting into this game. I, we're going to go back to that and how you did. Like when you first decided to start throwing hands and get mm-hmm. into the MMA game – MMA changed street fighting, in my opinion, in a way to where there used to be the time in where you could go to a bar and that you'd get in a, a fight or you, you know, and I'm not saying that I would go look for fights, yeah. but it happened. MMA kind of changed it to where you got to be careful all the time now because you can't judge a book by its cover, which you never could do. But before this big craze and, I, and, and where it started with me was the tap out days. And I still have your tap out shirt yeah. that you gave me back in the day when you were at the UFC The had all the silver shiny glitter yeah. on and all the, the foil had, and, yeah, the, the yeah. and Bader and all that tap out was amazing for this, for the lifestyle and the sport of MMA. Um, when you came out and you were in that house, you know, and you got in the ultimate fighter and all that smack talking's going on is, is it something that is fake? Because when I'm around fighters, you CB Dalloway today, um, the guy that just got back that we met at the restaurant today, that just yep. got back from the bare knuckle fought in the UFC a bunch. I've been around a lot of MMA fighters and they're all sweethearts. Yeah. They don't talk shit. They don't look for fights. They don't show their ass. They're all respectful human beings, well-mannered and is it say is it is it just a game to these guys that they got to be the Floyd Mayweather to sell a fight or is there is is there really that part of it to where that, that you think you're a tough guy kind of mentality and is there guys that really do talk that kind of shit? Yeah, there. I mean, if you look at like Diaz brothers and all that, I think they truly, you know, that's how they think and love to talk shit and all that. Um, and there's certain guys that do for sure. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it nowadays is definitely, you know, they're they're doing it just because you have to now. People want to see it now. Conor McGregor, Jill Sonnen, you know, kind of started that. Conor ran with it. And to see what he he's done, the kind of money he's made. Now it, it seems like everybody that has a big fight, main event, co-main event, are talking shit now. It, they could... You know, they could like each other, whatever, but they're still going to talk shit. You know, and there's always been respect, like you said, all the MMA guys I've been around, super cool people, respectful. Um, but now I think the entertainment era is kind of taking over a little bit. And you see guys even push that to where they're almost like WWE-ish, you know? And, uh, I mean, you can even look at, like, Henry Cejudo. He's, like, calling himself the king of cringe, you know? Because yeah. he's so cringy with his shit talking. Um, but that's his little thing now. 
you know? And so I think it, nowadays it's more prevalent, definitely, to hear people like talking smack, making stuff up, trying to start it or whatnot. Because, I mean, if you think about the money that the smack talkers get, you know, like the Mayweather deal and the things that him and Connor said to each other, no matter how that fight went, yeah, I see that fight a lot different than most people did. But, I mean, Connor went in there eight or nine rounds and gave it yeah, hell, hell and, yeah. and, and showed out well and made enough money to where he never has to fight again. Yep. Now, with that being said, what is your opinion of his career after his last fight? With all the stuff that went down in New York or with the when he threw the gate through the bus— then he comes in and he gets smoked. Like he literally got destroyed that night, in my opinion. He yeah. says that he might have won one round. I didn't see it. Um, I know that. What, who, what's Khabib? The Khabib. He's got a fight coming up. Yeah. Um, does that destroy a guy like Conor McGregor to where his confidence is so shot now? Or is he just like, hey, I, think I got he, the money. I think he's fine. He's always had that self-belief. Um, it destroys the public public's opinion of him, you know, and the fight fans. Um, but it's MMA. You're going to lose. Khabib's a... Uh, a stud he's undefeated you know he's he's one of the best out there pound for pound you know so it's it's nothing to you know cry about on his on connor's end you know just say hey i'm gonna i'm looking forward to the rematch or whatever and like that's where he should have came came off you know obviously trying to sell it and whatnot but they're they're all ufc is always going to try to look to put him in and uh you know if if dustin poirier who's khabib is fighting in september if poirier wins who do you think is getting the next title shot you know they're going to put Connor in there. Hopefully, Connor wins and is a champion. Now, now they can sell Connor as a champ with a uh, rematch with Khabib. Does Poirier have a chance against? You yeah, Poirier is good. Um, and Khabib can look like a world beater most of the time, and then sometimes, you know, he has some holes in his game too, just like anybody else. And it's MMA. You know, the one, one punch, one you know, being that like an inch off, a centimeter off, and you get clipped. Good night and fights over, you know. But Connor, I mean, he's done it right. He's made more money probably than everybody on the UFC roster has ever made total, combined. you know, combined. And, um, you know, and he, he went in and crossed over into boxing and fought Mayweather. You know, he's he's not crying about his career. Yeah, he wants to be the best, but you know how hard it is to, to stay on top, yeah. you know. And, uh, yeah, he's had some, like, troubles and whatnot. And imagine what he has to deal with, too, on a regular daily basis with people coming at him, when he, you know, especially back in Ireland. He's a huge, huge superstar, you know. Yeah, he's a um, Anybody would kind of snap here and there. But, you know, he's a great fighter, and I think he's going to be back, and they're going to just make those big fights. And, and he's not going to settle for anything but those big fights. Some thoughts have crossed my mind in the past of guys like McGregor, girl like Ronda Rousey, Maybe John Jones in his early career. Um, and I don't know what your opinion is on this, and I don't even know if you want to touch on it, Bader, but it's almost like they get put on a pedestal by Dana and the fight crew over there at UFC, and then they they have so much to live up to. Mm-hmm. And then when they do lose, like when she lost to Holly, it was like her world turned upside down. She was never the same fighter again. But then uh, an analytical way of looking at it is like she was the trailblazer that was a judo bronze medalist in the Olympics, comes into the fight game, brings all this attention to female fighting. She's on the Ellen show. She's on night show. She's got, you know, she's doing. She's the reason that women were allowed in, allowed into UFC. And 
that's the way to look at it, right? You don't look at, is it unfair to look at it like Dana put her on a pedestal and then she loses and she's knocked off and then like she's a sellout to go to work for Vince McMahon? No, she's not. She's making a paycheck. Yeah. That's what she does. But uh, sometimes it crosses my mind like, well, Connor got put on this thing. Like he wasn't even like that established yet and he got put in there as the man yeah. by Dana. Like it's almost like they know what they're doing to draw that box office, to draw that pay-per-view, to draw those merchandise sales and bring more attention. And that's probably why they sold the company for $4.2 billion because they do know what they're doing and there is a game plan. Yeah, if they want to get behind you, they're going to get behind you and, and push you. It's your job, obviously, to win those fights. And Connor backed it up. You know, every I remember watching every fight. I'm like, I'm betting on the other guy, betting on the other I'll wait till he fights a wrestler. And yeah, he's had, you know, like when he fought Mendez, Mendez had a week and a half camp, you yeah. know. Um, but he's backed it up. Then when he knocked out Aldo in 13 seconds, I was like, damn, this dude's for real. Like, he, he backed it up. All that pressure, right, and all that marketing behind them, you know. And so, in this in this fight game, you're gonna lose, you know. I think what is it? John Jones is the only person that hasn't lost yet. Just but one, you, just one. You, it's gonna happen, you know. It, it's uh, a crazy sport, you know. And so for like guys and girls like Ronda and all them, yeah, they they lose, but it's not the end of the world for them. To the public, oh, you lost, and they're gonna jump on his shit talk and all that. But look what she did. She went over to WWE. It's making probably way more money. And uh, not getting beat up and, and doing her own thing. Yeah, she's out of the, the fight fans perspective, you know. And so uh, MMA is kind of what have you done for me lately kind of sport, you know. So guys are going to lose. It's, it's going to be you know, it's too, too crazy of a game. You know, you can be a good football team and consistently win. But when you're talking about, you know, one bad move and you're getting knocked out, one, you know, head movement's not there or something, it's over. So you you would say that there's no validity in one of my mindsets of like why do they just well well the UFC will put you if they want to get behind you they've done it to other people before right and other people have lost they put a lot of marketing push behind some people um, uh, Darren Till comes to mind you know they were all about him because he has a country behind him too right and they pushed him pushed him and he went and got smoked in the title shot and and beat again. Cowboy After, beat him, right? Yeah, yeah, and he got beat the second time, you know, or he beat Cowboy. He did? No, Cowboy beat him. Did he? Yeah. That oh, was yeah. like his big loss, I thought, where they, they thought after he had that big win, he smoked somebody, I thought, yeah. and, then he, and then came back and Cowboy. Because Tyron beat him up pretty good, choked him out, and then he lost Maybe again. I'm wrong. I don't know. But then, Maybe uh, I'm wrong. I yeah, I, wrong. I can't remember who, he, who lost his second time. But then, uh, you know, and then you don't really hear about him anymore, right? He got pushed too early. Even Dana came out and said, yeah, maybe I pushed a kid a little too early in, into the title fight. But look what can happen when they want to push you, right? And so guys like Connor, like he, he did it right and he backed it up though. You know, and other guys, they got pushed and made the public think that they're way better than they were. And yeah, I do think too, you're going to get, there's a, if, they, if you're marketable, you have a country behind you, you come from the UK, you come from wherever, they have a path for you, right? I'm like, okay, I'm kind of steer, steer clear of, uh, you know, this opponent because, you know, he's a wrestler, or he's this, and it's not a good matchup for our guy, right? So um, that definitely happens. So where it all began was high school wrestler, state champion, football player, 
you come out and how does it work now when you are you going on recruiting trips to the powerhouses in the country, the Oklahoma states, the ASUs, the the Penn states, the Iowas? Does Dan Gable personally fly out to Reno and and sit down with you and your dad? Is is there a lot of a lot of talk going on in the Ryan Bader um, household at eighteen years old now when this time? Because now you, you're getting recruited by the heavy hitters in D one wrestling. How did that all happen? Do you just get a phone call from ASU and say, "Hey, we want you to come down here on a recruiting trip"? Or yeah, I kind of came up wrestling year round since I was, I mean, I wrestled since I was like eight, but got really heavy into it, like 11, 12, and uh, wrestled year round, California, all that kind of stuff. I played football. And so we were a good uh, football school. I was a good football player. I wasn't overly fast, overly big for a middle linebacker, but I was Nevada Defensive Player of the Year and all that. And we won state. And I was like, maybe I want to play football, you know, but on paper, I wasn't overly fast or anything like that. I went to one last wrestling tournament. It's a, uh, Everybody who got first in their respective state all come together for like a national tournament. And I ended up getting uh, third. I lost to a guy. I was awesome. Uh, Jake Rocholt. He's like a three-time national champion college and all that. I started getting recruited by some different uh, different schools. And I kind of want to stay out on the West Coast. So uh, I was kind of looking at them. I had like Northern Iowa. But then I had Oregon hitting, trying to get me pretty heavily. And then ASU. And, uh, yeah, the whole deal, you know, they'd come to your house and meet you, then meet your parents, both Oregon and ASU did. And then you go on a recruiting trip. So I went up to Oregon and then, uh, I came down or came back and then I came down to ASU and I immediately fell in love with ASU and the people, um, the wrestlers, you know, the school, I came down here in March, right? It's 90 degrees. It, you know, girls are walking everywhere on Palm <laughs> walk and I'm like, all right, I'm 18 years old. And, uh, for me, I was like, I just, it feels right. And so I kind of knew right then and there after a couple of days that I wanted to come to ASU. And I was flying back and the Oregon coaches were at my house when I got back and they offered me full scholarship to come to Oregon, but I just didn't feel the same way up there as I did down here. So I ended up signing with uh, ASU, came down here, been down here ever since 2001. You joined forces with teammates like CB Dalloway, yep. Kane Velasquez. Yep. You guys have an awesome team. Let me ask you this real quick, knowing what you went through in high school on um, as far as the mentality, the approach, the discipline, what you have to have right now at this stage in your life. How old are you right now? 34, 35? 36. 36 years old. You have to have the stuff that we were taught in our youth, mm-hmm. discipline, being held accountable, bigger, faster, stronger. Yep. The Ken Dalton, the Ken Cass, the Shane Wallace's of your life, of our life, that yep. that you took it a step further than we did. I, we played college baseball. Now you're being paid to do what those guys instilled in you at a young age. What um, what kind of person is Ken Cass to you in the big picture? Not to say that you're best friends or you stayed in touch or anything. I don't care about any of that. I, I mean, not that I don't care. I don't need yeah. to know that. But what he would do in that football locker room, the fi- get us against fired up, the mentality, the approach, the discipline, and, and holding us accountable. Um, I remember what he meant to me, and I was a subpar football player. Mm-hmm. But it's still to where I'm at in life today. I still hold a lot of what he taught me as virtue. Is that safe to say that it happened? That's when you start to form that mental approach in life of like, man, I, nothing can hold me down. Nothing can beat me. Because when you're when you're in an octagon with John Jones or what you're getting ready to do or what you just did with Fedor, you still have to have that approach in life, right? Oh, yeah. You know, he definitely was uh, one of those mentors kind of coming up and 
I got I got pulled up my sophomore year, and we we're you know McQueen's a good football school, um, and got pulled up to varsity to be a bit middle linebacker as a sophomore, and I'm playing with adults, you know, at that school, those seniors. The senior linebackers were big boys, like legit. The, the entire island of Tonga, exactly. Much, you know? At McQueen, <laughs> you know, I remember walking in one time. I was with a, a senior, a junior, whatever, and we walked in. I was late for, uh, you know, to go over the um, some film, and I walked in there, and Coach Cass was immediately on me, like, "Oh, you think you're a big shot now that you're on varsity?" Like, put me down to like that big. I was like, holy shit, you know, but sure enough, I was never late again. You know, he demanded that discipline, that work ethic and all that. And I went, I went through where to the point, you know, fast forward from when he was scolding me from being late to, I remember one of the, uh, you know, the speeches, you know, fire you up, whatever. And, and one of the greatest compliments I ever got, you know, he's like, if I want, want to be in a foxhole with anybody, it'd be with Ryan Bader. And I was like, got the chills. I was like, Ken Cass said that. Yeah. You know, they're coming from him. And so I was like, holy shit. And when I had one of the best games, you know, and so um, he was a motivator, but he kept you, kept you accountable, you know, and I've had a lot of those throughout my career, especially in wrestling. You know, it's one of those things where you have to, you know, you have to put in the work. It's going to show I play in football. You know, I miss a tackle. Hopefully yeah, my teammates, you know, got my back and they can, you know, but you go out on a mat and you're not feeling it. You're not feeling good. You're feeling sorry for yourself because you've been training hard. You get your ass whooped. It's on you. Right. You can't look at anybody else. And that's what I love about MMA. So I put, you know, all those kind of life lessons and athletic lessons together. And, uh, you know, guys have been around like Coach Cass and everybody else and, and some of my wrestling coaches and, you know, my experience at ASU. Um, you know, we were the track team, the swim team, everything combined. We were running and swimming so much and wrestling. You know, it, it was tough, tough. And so I felt like we had to edge up when we came into MMA. I know how to work hard. I know how to get a result. I'm not feeling sorry for myself if I'm you know, tired, sore, and hurt. Yep. He's pushed through it, and you go. Yeah, it seems like if you take that approach, and I'm sure your kids, whether they turn out to be you know, school teachers or garbage truck drivers yep. or fighters, you know, that mentality is key in life. And I think that is, is being a sponge at that age and being coachable. And people hear, well, yeah, he's an athlete, but is he coachable? Yep. That's a big deal. If, you, if you're a know-it-all and you're that guy that doesn't need to watch film or like Allen Iverson, it's, we're talking about practice. Yep. Remember all that attitude? I just, and I'm not taking anything away from Allen Iverson because he is a stud basketball player. But I just think that that whole approach in life is key. And if you don't, even if you're not trying to win the heavyweight championship of the world and you're just trying to get a job and a livelihood and take care of your family and put food on the table, that it's important to have those virtues, in my opinion. I think that sports are so important in driving that message home. Well, that's like, you know, employers, they want to employ former military college athletes because they know what they're going to get out of them. They know that this person has worked hard and dedicated themselves to something to achieve something, you know, and that goes into everything from like special operations, you know, they like wrestlers, they like swimmers, swimmers, guys that have gone through that girls and guys, you know? And so, uh, I definitely want my kids to experience that. And I try to do that, you know, especially, you know, in today's age where they could be on a computer or an iPad, you know, 24 seven, you know, I try to get my kids out you know, we live on a little ranch and get them working all the time, expose them to different things, get them in, into sports and all that, and kind of teach them a little bit of what I came up with. You know, nowadays it's kind of, you know, everybody gets a medal, all that kind of kind of bullshit where, you know, everybody feels entitled. You no, know, you got to earn, you got to earn that, 
you know, just the way we did. When I was a kid, my, oh, you mean that that belt you got from Fedor fight isn't a participation? Yeah, award? it's not a participation. You know, that's <laughs> that's, that's a, a championship. That's a lifetime belt. of hard work. Got to be know? a champion. Yeah, you know, and and I remember when I was I was a kid wrestling. I was twelve years old, whatever, and I didn't want to do a lot of stuff. My dad wanted me to run three miles twice a week, you know, and he kept me accountable. I'd come home from school, and he'd run with me too. Um, but the times we he wouldn't, you know, the couple times I went to the park, right, came back and splashed some water on my face, acted like. He's like, all right. And then I, I was always supposed to run up this mountain at the end and come back down. And I came back down and I'm like, oh, fuck. He had a spotting scope that was on the mountain. <laughs> He's like, how was your run? And I was like, yeah, it was good. I just went to the base and then, uh, you know, I was a little tired and whatever. When really I was just at the park. Yeah. I would just go sit, you know, sit at a little bench and then come back. And then, but after that, I was like, I'm just wasting time there. I might as well just get better, yeah. you know? And, and so, um, you know, I've had that hard work instilled in me and, and, uh, I I've used that and it's, it's helped me be successful and really whatever you want to do, whether it's business, whether it's athletics, family, you know, being a better person, you know, uh, I just think, you know, all kids should be exposed to that at some point in their lives. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, one of the biggest things that I, that I learn and like what I just said, being coachable is, and I talk a lot, but I also have become a really good listener because I learned probably five years ago that opportunity knocks. If you put yourself in a position, you know, you're not a know-it-all, mm -hmm. you're not a dick. You, you don't say no, you don't have to say yes to everything, but don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there a little bit, stay disciplined. And you know, opportunity doors can open at any time. If you listen and you get to know somebody on an intimate level, that's how friendships start. That's how business partnership starts. That's how lifelong memories, all of that stuff comes with that mentality of what you're talking about. And your dad have, luckily it was just a spotting scope and not crosshairs. And I could see him <laughs> yeah, like right. maybe shooting a few off at your feet yeah, and stuff like, get going. going. <laughs> but you're a, are you a purple belt? in Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I don't really do too like too much gi. So you know? so with it's always said that it takes about 10 years to get yeah. a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think I love Mike Tyson. I love watching Mike Tyson fight. But to me wrestling is the base of all badasses. Like if you look mm -hmm. at the badasses in this sport from Randy Couture to, to Dan Severn, I know Hoyce Gracie is the godfather of it. He's a trailblazer and he was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um we saw what Matt Hughes did to him in a fight, even though it, it was yeah. a lot later on in his career. But you look at what you've done in your career. You weren't even a gold gloves boxer. You weren't even a boxer growing up. No. You were a wrestler. And now you're the heavyweight and light heavyweight champion of the world, Grand Prix heavyweight winner in Bellator, had an awesome UFC career, had an awesome Division One wrestling career. Is it, is it, and when I, and when I, is what I'm saying, like, does it stick today in the MMA world? Is, is wrestling still looked at as the foundation of the badasses? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, you know, Cormier's fighting coming up here. Um, and, you know, he's one of the top wrestlers and, and he came through using wrestling. Um, you know, I'm the same way. You know, my core is wrestling. I can knock people out. That, that A lot of it comes off the threat of I'm going to take you down and beat you up, you know. And I just feel like it's a sport where we have the upper edge because we keep on going back to, you know, we know how to train. We know how to dedicate ourselves we know how to cut weight you know we're not out there whining because we have to lose 10 20 pounds for a fight you know you have the opportunity to do that you have the opportunity to make weight because you can fight in front of you know 20,000 fans and get paid for it and be an athlete and have that freedom you know and and uh 
we just kind of come from a different mindset, I think. And we bring that into the mixed martial arts world. And that's why you see most wrestlers that are good wrestlers that want to be successful are, you know, I didn't throw a, a correct punch before I was 23 years old, you know, I still knock people out, you know, you set it up with that takedown. Yeah. Set up with takedown. And, you know, I worked at it, you know, and I wanted to get better at that. I focused on it and, and, uh, I still love what I'm doing, you know, well, 10, if, you, if you think about the age, if you think about the H bomb with Hendo perfected, it was because of his threat to, yep. to shoot a single or a high crotch or or yep. a double leg or whatever, right? Yeah. And then he would just throw that overhand right because those guys are already kind of like bending down to defend themselves on the takedown because nobody wants to get taken down. I saw what you did to that guy in the octagon today. He couldn't defend your wrestling. No, you know, and that's a, when I go back and talking about you know when I could feel guys break and all that. You get a wrestler in there, he's not going to break. He's going to keep coming at you. You know, that's why nobody likes to fight wrestlers. They're, they're tenacious. They're going to come at you the whole time. And uh, other guys that come from different backgrounds, say jiu-jitsu or kickboxing or, you know, started. Uh, there's people that just started doing everything when they're, you know, 18 or 20. They don't have a background or anything. They don't have that mentality that a wrestler has to go in there, get the job done. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to come after you until you physically you know knock me out or choke me out where i cannot come after you anymore so it's i think it's just a different mindset doesn't it blow your mind then bader when you think of it in a business level or in a, in a just being a people level that the u.s olympic committee or the world olympic committee would actually go as far as saying that we are going to discontinue the oldest known sport in the olympic games the sport that can make boys men make yeah. women women make girls women wrestling was threatened to be taking out of the Olympic games. And when you look at it from what like our discussion that we're having and what it can do for a person's psyche, his mental approach his his thinking, his aptitude, his will, his willingness to compete, his desire never to give up or quit. Why would, why would that ever come up? Like I, I just, I maybe where we live wrestling in Reno's it's okay. We have the TOCs there, yeah. right? It's a big tournament. But when you go back to Pennsylvania and Iowa and Nebraska and Minnesota, you're it's Jesus parting the water when when you yep. go into a Dan Gable gym and see what they do better like what Kells doing at Penn at Penn State, yep. which I don't think they're going to be a a shoe in to win it this year. There's going to be some some yeah. good matches. But anyway, you know what I'm saying is like how could the Olympic Committee, do you know do you remember when all that was going oh, yeah. on? Oh yeah. Well, they cut ASU wrestling for a little while. ASU, huh? ASU and then they they uh some big donors, you know, stepped up and and uh, kind of funded the program to come back. And they they hired Zeke Jones, who's big name in wrestling, and they finally have that that name behind them, the coaching name that can carry them on. Now they had a couple time national champion. They have a number one recruiting class, stuff like that. But yeah, it's you know a lot of it's politics and you know um, the stuff like Title Nine and all that and. and there's people on both sides that have the opinion, you know. Bro, there's like badminton in the Olympics yeah, or something I know. now. But to, to cut wrestling out of like, like you said, the oldest sport, a sport that's been around forever, you know, and and uh, yeah, it's it blows my mind that it would even come up, you know. And I get it; it's not a fan favorite, you know. But it's it's for wrestlers and their fans. It's more than just a sport, you know. It 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 touches on everything we were talking about, you know, the mentality. Um, you know, I, I feel wrestling, um, allowed me to kind of grow up and, and be a good person and all, you know, everything that comes with that too. Let me ask you this just off the cuff. Cause I saw your body today and I'm like, God damn, it'd be really like, I, I'm not like obese. I'm not like a real big guy, but I really want to look like that. Right. 
Do you think that if you're me and you don't have this fight coming up and you're just a duck hunter, do you look the way you look with your mentality as a wrestler and the way that you approach life? Or are you and your wife out eating chicken fingers tomorrow night and bowling with a pitcher of beer and you might get a little bit of a belly on you if you're not Ryan Bader in, in, with your responsibilities today? You know, I, I do that. I, I like my lifestyle right now because it's kind of like a binge purge where I'll have a training camp and I'm super clean. And then afterwards, I can kind of do whatever I want because I know I have another training camp coming up. I don't know. I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have good genetics. I've, I've had, you know, uh, I've been muscular and all that my whole life. High school coming in. I remember uh, I came in and Aaron Simpson, who is my upper weight coach and UFC fighter a little later on. But he's like, you're in high school. What the hell, you know? And and I, I kind of always had that. So I've I've kind of been blessed with that, where I don't have to worry about if I do want to have some chicken wings and beer. It doesn't really. I don't really pack on a belly or anything like that. But if I were, I, I yeah. With, but Ryan, you've been training that, hard for a long that's time. That's true. With that mentality, though, I don't. I feel like I would just I would keep it up. You would. Yeah, because I mean, I do. Like I said, I know I have a training camp coming up, so I allow myself to do whatever, and then because I know I'm going to be training. But if I didn't, you know, say when I retire, you know, I might work out harder because I, I want to, I want to keep that. I want to be in good shape. You know, I want to be healthy and I've done it my whole life. And I think that's what will make it easier when I'm, when I'm not, when I'm not working out, I'm like a dog. Like I, I gotta be walked. I gotta be ran every day or else I get a little crazy. Lazy? No. And I get a little, oh, just you like gotta antsy. get out and do it I gotta own. do something. I see yeah. Um, I just get, there's too much energy. I get wound up, you know, not myself, you know, you didn't even look that out of breath today at the end of 25 minutes. No, I uh, you, put, good. you put your arms up in the air at the end of every round breathing, like you're supposed to do. Do you ever wear a heart rate monitor and see where your heart gets to in, a, in an exercise like that? Yeah, you get yeah. into the one seventies, one eighties and keep it there for five minutes. I usually don't get up to, no, I usually don't get up to one eighties. I get up to, I can get up to one seventy. Um, if I'm, you know, middle of the hard, intense sparring, take down back up on our feet. Um, but that little rest, that's where we train the way we do that little rest. If we're not punching each other, we back off for a little bit. My heart rate will drop 20 to 40, you know, beats like that. And within five seconds, what's your resting heart rate? Do you know right now? Is it 50? Oh no, 55? it's, I can be in the low thirties. Can you really? Yeah. I did mine the other day. It was 54. Yeah. 54. You can be in the low thirties. Waking up. I can be in the low, like 32. I, I had a little procedure done on a whim, not a whim, but I had was had a little misdiagnosis go on last end of last year, and they woke me up three times in the night in the hospital that night, and I could tell you the whole story later, not a big yeah. deal at all, but they they go your heart rate's at forty four, are you okay? And they're like shaking me, yeah. I'm like yeah, I'm fine. My mom's a nurse practitioner and she's there with me. And I think that that, that that's a, a sign of a few things. I don't know how much genetics plays in it, but, yeah. but the, the ability to recover and what I saw today is key, right? Yeah. Because you cannot, if I, if I'm in that, if I'm in that octagon and I'm in the shape that I am in right now, I might go 45 to a minute and a half with you yeah, and then wear one on the chin so bad that I don't wake up for a week because my defenses are gone because I'm yeah. so puffed. You, you, know, can't, just, you can't think. You, you can't, can't react. Think. You just can't. So that minute, that recovering within that minute is is huge. So if I can have, I could be redlined, right? And and for me, that would be that would be in a crazy scramble. Then we're back on our feet and then we're throwing. Because I can, I can be on the ground for a while. It's what I've done my whole life. So my body kind of is like, okay, you're on top of a person. I know when to rest, you know, and I know how to make that other person work where I'm not working as hard. But when we're doing that crazy stuff and I'm reliant, I'm one, you know, 70, whatever. All right, time. 
its ability for that to come down to 80 within a minute. So you're able to get back up there and feel fresh because if it's not, you're getting back back out there and you're like, what the, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Your mouthpiece is gone. You're breathing through your mouth. Yeah. I don't even care anymore. That's what a lot of people are like. I don't care if I win or lose. I just want to be done, you know? And, uh, that's, I, I know a lot of fighters that have got tired, like TKO me. I felt it in my hands. I've had a, a hand trapped hitting a guy. Wasn't even that hard. I was just kind of just going fast because the referee will kind of step in, you know, like, hey, fight back, fight back, and just barely touch him. And then all the guy has to do is, like, turn, but he just takes it to get out of there. You, when you talk like that or when I'm with the thoughts that are going through my mind are some of the great fights when it comes to having or having, or having to recover. Mm-hmm. Mendez Aldo. Yep. Guida that would just Guida just went into the Hall of Fame with his fight against Diego. Uh Hendo Hua. Shogun. Shogun. Those yeah. fights. Like like you think about the you know the, the role that cognitive thinking play comes in, then the role of athleticism comes in, then the strength comes in, then the hand speed comes in. All that shit goes out the door. If your heart rate's at 190 and it's you know it's like flight or fright, you're just like breathing th- you know yeah. through your mouth the whole time. I just to me it's it, it seems that you there's a lot more that goes into being where you're at in your career with the ability to go in there fi- for 25 minutes is systematic breathing. Are you practicing all this shit as a, as a professional athlete? Do you do you get to uh, coach to come in and, and, and practice your systematic breathing, your interval training, watching your heart rate, wearing those masks that Matt Hughes and Sean Shirk used to make famous back in their yeah. training days. Are you doing all that kind of shit? We're uh, to a certain degree. I don't want to be the guy that relies on technology. And then if something goes wrong and you don't have that or something happens and, and uh, you freak out because I've had friends I've done that relied on doing all the extra s- stuff, but didn't put in the hard, hard work and just thought that other stuff was going to get it to him. You know, I put in the hard work and I, and, uh, you know, I have a good strength and conditioning coach that, that kind of does that periodization and this is what we got to do. This is what interval training we're doing, um, tomorrow, which is going to be Saturday. Um, we put in a hard work or a hard week, um, you know, and just sparred hard and tomorrow we're going to go run in the morning and we're going to do um, track in- intervals or sometimes it's the hills and that's all based on where we're at in camp how I'm feeling at the same time too that's a big thing we've I come from the mentality you're tired you go more right you do another round but as you got as we got smarter and even college wrestling programs are doing it now they're giving their guys a day off in the middle of the week you know you got to listen to your body you can't just push through everything and I think that was a good turning point started doing that started listening to my body a little more and then uh, I do different stuff, too. I, I go up to a, uh, a different gym. It has a, a pod. I sit in a pod. It's like a little alien pod. And uh, it shoots me up to 21,000 feet and back down. And I had to work my way up probably for a year. And now I'm at the highest level I can go. So I'm going up to 21,000 feet. And then being there for a little bit, can barely think. And then drop down to sea level. Back up. Boom, boom, boom. And then all different. I'll be at you know 5,000 feet. I'll be at 15. Back down. Boom. In there for an hour, if you have a water bottle in there, it's just going. So that's what it's doing to your body. Your body's adapting, making uh, more red blood cells. Um, and that's been kind of a, the new school thing I've done. But other than that, it's just hard work. It's it going, almost sounds like trying to like go up in an F4 or F15 fighter jet. It is, you know, because I'll have a, you can have a, your phone or computer in there and you can't, you'll be writing an email. You can't even think, you know, you can't even think in there. So. Little stuff like that, but at the end of the day, it's going in there and doing that sparring that people don't want to do. It's doing the rounds. It's 
coming in, getting your running in, getting all that kind of stuff in. And the other stuff is just extra. But, it, you know, and put it all together and experience. I've, ha- I've had almost 35 fights. I've done a lot of training camps the wrong way. But now we realize, all right, this is a blueprint for me to feel the best I'm going to feel. You know, and obviously we've done heart rate stuff. We're like, all right, your heart rate's coming down under, you know, 90 in one minute, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now we have it. We have the blueprint. Now we plug people in. All right, let's bring in this guy. All right. We already know how the training camp's going to go. Well, with that mentality and that approach, let me ask you this, Ryan. When you put that much work into and that much thought into a camp, and you have this team around you, like you guys are gladiators. You, they're all with you. They're fighting with yep. you, even though they're not in there. They're still part of it. They're they're literally wearing every emotion that you have on their sleeves. They're they're living and dying with you. What happens to a person like you specifically, personally, when when John Jones chokes you out in the yep. second round after you know that you're better than that? Because it, it's the fight game. Yep. It could happen. Aldo is one of the best ever. Former soccer player turned badass goes in there 13 seconds. McGregor lays him out like yep. there's no tomorrow. What happens to you as a person, just you personally? So low po- low point in my career is like okay, I lost to John Jones, you know, and I I was like Fuck, I could fought way better than that. And it was a long time ago, but you know I, you can still think about it. But then at the next fight, I lose to Tito Ortiz, big yeah, upset, choked out again, choked out, you know, big upset. And after that, it could have went one of two ways. You know, I could have said, man, feel f- sorry for myself. What am, you know, what am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. Or you can say, you know what? It sucks. And it did. For a week, I was down, whatever. But I'm like, all right, what are we going to do about it? You know? Um, and for me, it was seeking out new coaches and seeking out a better striking coach and getting around different people and seeing how they trained. And so any one of my losses, it, it's not good. You wake up the next morning, you're like, Oh, please tell me it was a dream. You're like, oh fuck, nope, I lost. You know, I got I got choked out, I got knocked out, whatever. And then it's like, all right, you can feel sorry for for yourself. And I allow my allow myself to feel bad for about three, three to five days. Then it's over. You gotta move on. You gotta get better. Either do something about it, or you know, sometimes you just don't, you have a bad night. You you can't, you know, I had 35 fights, you can't be hundred percent on in every single fight, you know? Um, you know, so it is what it is. There, uh, my last loss three years ago was, uh, Anthony Johnson. I was going to go put the pressure on him kind of like I did to Matt Mitrione and try to take him down. I I went in there and I was going to throw hands before didn't even do that. I just took a shitty shot and, uh, he ended up catching me and that one hurt because I was like, fuck, I didn't even get to fight, you know? And so after that day, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to have fun in here. I'm going to go out, you know, the week of, enjoy the process of fight camp, enjoy the fight, enjoy, you know, locker time right before the fight. And not a lot of people get to do that at the high level, you know, so enjoy it. Don't make a big deal about it. And, you know, I've been undefeated ever since. And and, uh, I think it's just learning from losses and taking something from each one and and trying to get better. And and not, not... Take it to heart, you know, so much. Does it drive you nuts as a person to not be able to get your hands on a guy like Tito again before he retires? I know he just came back with that deal that Oscar De La Hoya did with Liddell, yeah. whatever. But does it go through your mind like, man, I I, I got to get him. That's not me. Or do you just walk away saying, hey, he was the better man that night? Yeah, you know, he was a better better man that night. You know, he came in, caught me with a punch and, and threw a choke on. You know, there's nothing I can say. Oh, I, I would have beat him nine, ten, you know, nine times out of ten. Who cares? You didn't on the night when it, when it mattered. When it mattered. Um, so I, yeah, I would love to get that fight back for sure. I'd love to fight Tito again, but is it going to happen? Probably not. 
you know, um, but I'm not dwelling over it. You know, I've moved on and I've moved up since then. You know, I don't have to go to prove myself to go fight Tito Ortiz again. You know, I went and have been proving myself ever since then. So when you say that that fight against those two back-to-back losses could break you. Yeah. It did the exact opposite is what you're saying. Now, you did have you did suffer one more loss after that. Then you come into this new, I, I don't know, is it a reemergence of Ryan Bader to, to that you reinvented yourself? Did you change the way you fought? Did you change the way you trained? Did you get a new coaching staff? Did you clean the house and say, hey, I'm yeah. starting all over? Or did you just go back to your roots and say, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be eight-man strong, manhandle these sons of bitches, throw them to the mat, or when they think I'm going to shoot a high crotch, I'm going to lay them out with an overhand right and just stay old-fashioned and true to your fight game that from the beginning well yeah you know after the two losses too like ufc you, if you get three losses they could cut you right so i went into my other fight like well shit if i lose this fight i could be done you know um end up knocking that guy out and then went on a good run and i've had losses whatever in between but you know i've been on uh i don't know i've been a, i think the last last 12 fights i'm like 11 and one you know I had a hiccup here and there um but i think it was a uh, I definitely got new people around me. Um, opening up, you know, coming over to Bellator was definitely a great, uh, a great way to like have a renewed energy. You know, excited about it. Been having a lot of fun, um, and definitely too the way uh, we do our contracts. You know, when Bellator, I go out there, I get a flat fee to you know go out there and fight. UFC, I get a, a show and win. So I'd go out there, and, and once you start getting a little bit more money in UFC, you're like, I'm leaving a big paycheck on the table if I don't get that win, too. So you maybe fight a certain way to secure that win. And for me, you know, you, it's a career, right? And so you go out there, and you're like, what am I going to use? What am I best at? You know, that was wrestling. And a lot of times fans don't want to watch a wrestler take somebody down and beat him up, you know, for three rounds. And so you can kind of kind of think about, okay, Maybe I was securing the other half of my paycheck and using exactly what I was best at. Where in Bellator, I feel like I can be more free and take more risks and go in there and, and uh, you know, throw hands and kind of let loose and do everything. So it was more freeing. It was exciting. And uh, I think, obviously, you know, being a veteran and having those fights and, and uh, you know, you learn from all that, too. You have experience. Do you, do you, do you think that having getting that experience from you know all of the fights will parlay this into something to where you're a randy couture style and i'm just looking into the future here because i've never understood how a guy like randy couture or somebody would want to come back or chuck liddell just coming back at like 48 years old and i don't know what you know was age and science i'm not saying that you can't yeah but do you see yourself in this game into your late 40s or at 36 do you have a goal to make it to do you go off just how you feel um is it is it one of those things to where you have a game plan right now of like i'm retiring by the time I'm 40 and I'm going to walk away from the sport, I'm going to be a fan. I might even be a coach. I might come and be a, do a signing for what, what Bellator, one of their upcoming fights. Are you, are you thinking along those lines yet? No, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I, I turned 36 in June and you get a little older and, and uh, I haven't slowed down. You have a little more injuries here and there, but you know, I feel great. Um, so I don't have like a, a definite timeline. You know, I, I have, I have friends, you know, one opponent, that I thought was a good buddy of mine, Mitrione. You know, he's 41 years old, still going at it hard. 
Um, some of the guys I fought, you know, guys in the UFC, Uriah Faber coming back, 40, looking great. Um, I don't want to fight into my late 40s for sure, you know. Um, it's a training that takes it out of you. So for me, it's just going off feel. I feel like I'm in my prime right now, and I'm going to keep rolling until I don't want to mentally do it anymore, you know, because it t- takes a physical toll and a mental toll. And and when you when you uh, the other part of that question, Bader, is your wife Daisy and you have like this awesome friendship. You guys are tight. Like yeah. it's a cool to see. I was talking to you earlier about how cool she seems. I've never met her, but yep. she seems awesome. You guys seem like you're like best friends. What does it make? Does she watch your fights live? Yeah, she comes and she's she's a mess for sure. Closes yeah. her eyes. Yeah. I've never, I've never, I always ask fighters, like, why do you freaking put, continue to put your family through this, I know, that, this, that's right? a thing, right? And then uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword. My parents come, my mom comes, um, you know, and everybody has their own routine. You know, my mom came up to Vancouver one time, I was fighting UFC, and uh, she came up to the fight, or to Vancouver, didn't come to the fight, stayed in the hotel, and had a friend text her how the fight went. That, you know... And my, uh, my wife has a routine where she doesn't want to be around people, so she'll go, like, walk the halls in the arena, and she'll take a couple tequila shots and come back down and try to, like, you know, be calm as much as she can. And, uh, and it definitely takes a toll on them, you know. Daisy seems like the kind of girl that would get in the octagon and try to whip no, somebody's yeah. ass if they it, you. know, if another wife was, you know, <laughs> talking shit or whatever, she'd be on it. But, um, but at the same time, you know, I, I do something that – enables a big group of family and friends to get together. You know, it's excuse for all of us. So, all right, we're going to go fight. And I always stay a day after, you know, if I fight on Saturday, I'll stay till Monday morning. I'll hang out with the parents, hang out with friends, uh, obviously, because I'm not doing that beforehand, before the fight. You know, so it's a good excuse to, you know, all right, you know, when's the next fight? Everybody's asking, when's the next fight? And, uh, you know, two or three times a year, we have an excuse for everybody to get together. On that question I asked you about when something happened like it did with Jones after a fight camp, the other part of that is, do you ever look at it and have you ever looked at your coach or Daisy or your dad and said, sorry for letting you down? Like, sorry for, sorry for putting you through that. Sorry for losing in front of you. Cause a lot of fight, I've heard a lot of fighters say that, like, sorry for letting you guys down, you know? And like, they're not yeah. looking at it that way. Obviously. Yeah, they're not at all. But do but you ever personally get in that mindset? You feel like that. And it's not, I wouldn't say like uh family really. But a lot of your coaches, because you know how much time they invested in you and, you know, you, you're training something and then you go off the rails and you do something you weren't, you weren't supposed to do or weren't training and you, or you don't do anything that you guys were training the whole eight weeks of your camp. Then that kind of is like, man, sorry guys, you know, and I've, I've said that before. And of course they're like, it's all good. You know, it's not, it's nobody's fault. You're in, you're going in there and you're fighting another human being in a, locked in a cage. It's a crazy sport. Crazy. With a lot of emotions, right? And so, yeah, you do feel that way. You feel like you let people down. But, of course, the people that actually care about you, they don't give a shit, you know? And, and uh, I've got a good a good group of people around me, from coaches to family, and uh, I think that's what it's all about. And I think a lot of people, a lot of fighters get, you know, not a good – people around them that just want to be around it and don't have your best interests you know, you have to be selfish when it's time to fight and right. tra- time for uh, training camp. And a lot of people kind of get in like that life of get a little celebrity, a little money, and you have different people hanging around and all that and let that kind of get to you. How much of a role does, does the preparation leading up to a fight, what you do 
is it is it superstition is it something to where you're the same in every fight camp like you wake up you got four egg whites or a whole kogan milkshake you watch certain you watch video on your fighters do you get do you break down chat or are you already so established in your mind of like hey i'm just going to do what i do and i know i can take this dude down because i'm a badass wrestler i know my overhand right's going to be there yeah. or do you sit there and study 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 until you pass out every night i watch his fights maybe Maybe it's past like five fights once, and then a, a couple of the fights a, again, and that's it for me. I want to, I don't want to get too focused on what he's going to do, and uh, I want to kind of focus on what I'm going to do. And my, but my coach will go through probably every day, and he's watching something, and he's bringing something to the table. All right, you know, Congo likes to do whatever this, and we'll drill that, and we'll drill that. Another day, he'd be like, hey, I was watching the fight, and I, I picked up on, you know, name it, and we'll drill that. Um, and then in training camp, I don't really have a lot of things like superstitions, but during the fight, I uh, I have a few things. I like to have my routine definitely down. And uh, for some reason, I clean the hotel room. Like before we leave, I pack all my bags down to like my toothbrush, even though I'm st- like sometimes I move rooms or whatever, but... I, um, I don't know why it's just like tidying everything up, you know, and making it look good. Okay. Everything's all, all tidied up we're where we need to be. Perfect. And I've always done that. That's weird. I because don't know most why. wrestlers are slobs. I know. <laughs> I mean, you get in the wrestler's I'll truck share, or, I'll share a room. or a dorm room or exactly. something. <laughs> no, but I, I, I do that. That's probably my, the one thing. And then, uh, um, you know, it, but it, most of it's kind of like routine and I want to, I want to do the same routine. Right. That we've done that have been successful with. So I don't like to mess with that. When when Mendez fought, um who did he fight? It was McGregor or Aldo. He had Aaron Lewis playing live. Remember was, the country uh, that boy? That was Connor, yeah. Connor when he had Country Boy playing. Yeah. Who's your walkout song if you or your band that would if you had a fight where somebody played live and it has to be from eighty five until present. Who is Ryan Bader having? Is it country? Is it Guns N' Roses? Metallica? Is it Slayer? Is it Slipknot? Is it Hank Jr.? Well, Matt Hughes used to walk out to Junior. Yeah. Who who is your? I, I'm not talking about your walkout song now. Yeah. We'll get into that. But is there a live band that could get you to that point of like, dude, I'm gonna whip somebody's ass right now? I got a lot of them. Um, it'd probably be some classic rock. You know, I kind of grew up, I was working with my dad's construction business, you know, in, in the summer times. And, you know, I know pretty much every classic rock song that you can know. But one of my favorites, uh, Boys Are Back in Town. So maybe have a little Thin Lizzy. Is play. it Thin Lizzy? Yeah. Yeah. Holy little shit. Like a little like kind of looted kind of. But don't you want the band members to be alive, bro, if they had to play they for alive? I don't know. I don't I would assume that if you played rock and roll music in the mid 60s and the you're 70s, not alive right now. you probably can't play. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Like Robert Plant's even still. Here's one for you. Uh, Keith Richards is even still alive. They yep. say that the last two things that happens when the earth blows up is that Keith Richards and a cockroach will be smoking a cigarette. <laughs> they're, they're the two guys. <laughs> that's all that's going to be alive. I yeah. mean, if, if, it, if what he's done hasn't killed him yet. Like yeah. they're they're on tour right now. They just played in Colorado the other night. Well, funny, I know uh, his uh, nephew. He has a few nephews, so uh, we went and saw him. They're in the, they're kind of classic rockers, but they're young. They're younger than me, like young thirties, whatever. But they just played here in uh, in uh, Tempe. Um, Electric Muds are band, and they're a couple of uh, ex Navy SEALs and stuff. And and uh, they they haven't leaned on their uncle at all. They're doing it all themselves. Just went on tour across the you know states and all that. But uh, it's cool to get some little inside info on that. 
on the Keith Richards Mick yeah. Jagger. Yeah, I'm sure he has a quite a few nephews and nieces, but are you into country music at all? Yeah. Yep. I grew up, you know Don't please don't tell me bro country, Brian. Uh, you know the little rascal flats and I like a little rascal, but you don't I'm like kidding. Florida Georgia line, do you? No. I mean if you're like, yeah, you're outside, barbecue, whatever, but Ugh. Yeah. So who do you like? Uh, like Eric Church, um, you know, Hake Willie Jr. and all that. Um, who else we got? Chris Zach. Ledoux, back in the Zach Brown band. Oh, Chris yeah. Ledoux, what a stud. Yep. A little country music. When you, how, imp, how important is the, uh, the ability for you to, the athleticism that goes into fighting? Um, are you, are, if, we, if we went out and did a circuit right now of things like jump rope, vertical jump, no step, just vertical jump, box jump, are you an athlete to where you're performing in, on all of this? Um, or are you awkward or your agility not there to be, you know, successful at that kind of stuff? No. Yeah. I would say I'm an athlete. I can do all that. And I can, uh, you know, we have a lot of younger guys here, early twenties and I'll outwork them all on runs or, you know, we'll go out there on the track and run four hundreds and I'm the, I'm 240 pounds and I'm the second guy running a 110, you know, one in oh seven four hundred on the third and fourth one. Wait, say that again on a, on a 400 like meter a minute, one minute, seven seconds, one minute, 10 on a 400, on a 400, one lap around the track. And we've done three of them already, you know? So I would say that, you know, I, some things I'm, yeah, I'm not the best athlete at, but, um, I feel like I'm an all around good athlete for sure. So what is when one of those 21 year old up and coming fighters that have dreams in their eyes of being at your level, what do you tell somebody like that? What, first of all, do they ever ask, are they ever, are they ever, um, you know, curious? Do they ever want to pick your brain and sit down and have a conversation like this? Are they intimidated? They don't want to waste your time or no, bother I'm, you? I'm, I'm buddies with most of them. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of them want to ask cause they don't want the answer. You know, um, the answer I have a lot of people ask me that question. It's and it's usually like fans, like I want to get into, you know, Bellator or the UFC, or I want to be, you know, a professional fighter. Like, what's your background? Well, nothing really. You know, it's like there's no magic pill. You know, I've dedicated my life basically looking back. I, you know, I didn't know I was going to be a mixed martial artist when I was younger, um, but I've wrestled and did all those athletics throughout my whole life, and that carried over into mixed martial arts. And so there's no magic pill to take and all of a sudden you're going to be good or, Hey, go to, uh, go see, you know, any coach, like go see whatever coach for two months and you're going to be a badass boxer. It's not going to work. So I can't watch Rocky and then you get can't, the, get you got to put it. in the work, you know, and, and one thing I'm always been consistent putting in the work and, and, um, you know, from the beginning of my career to now I've grown and grown and grown every fight, every year, every time. And that's what people, especially in, in, in today's world, we get things like that. If I want something, I can order it. I can say it into a, a device on the table and it'll order some toothpaste for me, you know? Yeah. But, um, and that's how people, younger people coming up, that's how they expect things. And same with success or I want to be good at X. I want to be good at that within a year. It's not going to happen. You got to work your way up. That's why jujitsu, we're just talking about, it's a belt system. It could take you 10 years or more to get a black belt. Um, so, you know, for me, it's a, it's, it's people don't want to hear it, but I was like, you got to be in here every day trying to get better, you know? And, uh, if you're not, and I've seen a million, I've been in this sport for a long time and people have come and gone 
like hundreds and hundreds of fighters, you know, came into our camp or into our little, you know, circle, you know, training, whatever, and gone. They come in and they do well for a little bit, but then they're gone after a while, you know, and, and, you know, the people that have, have, uh, dedicated themselves to being better every, every single day. I'm in here when I don't have a fight. I'm in here twice a day when I don't have a fight, you know, and constantly working to get better and, and training with new people, bringing people in, going out and training with other people too. You know, I went out and trained with uh, Stipe when he was fighting Cormier the first time and, and picking people's brains and, you know, and if you're not doing that, you're not going to, you're not going to get it. And when you, when you're talking about what it takes to get there, there's also something to be said, in my opinion, about what happens after the fight game is over. Mike Tyson, 19 years old, 20 years old, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, all belts worth $350 million by the time he's 23, somewhere in that neighborhood, yep. loses it all partying, bad management, Don King, whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever. Okay. Yeah. The pressure's on this guy. He's born in Catskill, you know, in the Catskills in New York, meets Customato, and he turns into probably, arguably one of the greatest heavyweights, probably the great, in my opinion, the greatest heavyweight of all yeah. time. He made boxing like what Mike, like what Tiger did for golf to me. In the MMA world, you got all these different walks of life. You were brought up the right way. You're just this normal dude from Rio, Nevada that there was a college athlete. Um, MMA gets to the horizon and, and, and now it's to the point to where you guys are bona fide superstars, celebrities, endorsement deals, red carpets. I told you the story about Nobu Sushi with Hendo yeah. 45 minutes to go 50 feet from the center bar, the circle bar in the middle of the hard rock to Nobu Sushi it, because of the autograph seekers and the selfies. Mm -hmm. Then the fight game's over. And I've almost seen it to where it has, it can have this alternate effect on people like you, not personally, yeah. but in your shoes, I've seen it. And I'm not going to say names, but prolific fighters. Oh yeah. And now depression, it's gone. Where's the money? Um, you know, the biggest thing is like the depression that sets in. Yeah. And I always wonder like, is that why they can't get out of it? Do they need to keep coming back and fighting? And there's one that I really want to talk about, but I won't. And I'll, maybe we will off mic, but you can, you know, you can rhyme. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. Uh, sap pews. Okay. Okay. That story. Yeah. Like I just never understand it. I never have understood what, what, what happened there and the changes that I saw in that man. And, um, I don't know. Is it something to be said about that? That all of a sudden you go from being a nothing. You're a college wrestler. Who cares, right? I mean, there's thousands of them. Yeah. We're college baseball players. Who cares? But now all of a sudden, like you are into something to where you're used to this lifestyle now. You, I, I think it's a, like the human being also. And I, I've had a discussion with this with a couple other people in different fields who in def, definitely high level athletes. Um, and a lot of people. I have a lot of friends that are in like the special operations, you know, SEALs, Green Beret, that have the same kind of mentality and the same difficulties when everything stops. You know, when you're used to revving up here and you're you're going and, and you're you have these fights and you're training, you always have something on the horizon you're looking forward to, and it's a lowest low and the highest high. You know, you go out there and get a win or he win a belt in, or whatever it was, my last fight, beat Fedor and have two belts and, and you have that high high. And then you keep getting those, you know, throughout your life and career. And when that's over, you're like, okay, where do I get that high from? And a lot of people choose drugs and alcohol, you know, gambling or whatever it is to feel that again. And same with like, you know, the special operations, 
special operation dudes that come back and they're in firefights the whole time and they have that rush and then it's they're thrown into normal life. What do you do? You know, how do you so adapt? How do you adapt? So for me, it's it definitely you have to have a hobby that kind of mimics that. And w- whether it's like, okay, I'm going to go get my black belt and compete in jujitsu. I'll, I'll always be competing in something physically uh, as long as my body allows me to, you know, and uh, I think I'll be able to get that from, from them or from that aspect of it for sure. And then family too, you know, you can immerse yourself in family or, you know, business, you can kind of get that from business or other hobbies like, you know, what we're talking about with hunting and all that, you know, people don't kind of, kind of look at it. Oh, what can you get from that? But you know, you go on a, a five day elk hunt or, you know, a bow hunt it's and they're, they're screaming in your face and, and you've got a bow and, and, so uh, you're a hunter. I am. I'm just yeah. kidding. But, uh, you know, so those kind of different things I, I think is what you need. If you're, if you're sitting at home and feeling sorry for yourself cause your career's done and you're looking to, for the, you know, you're looking for that next high, basically, you know, that's why a lot of people do come back. Yeah. Money's great and everything, but I want to feel that again, basically. Yeah. And it's almost like if I'm hearing you right, it's like, you got to, you have to stay grounded. The highs are going to be there. Merle Haggard sang a song called, you know, kicking the footlights out again. And you go out and like at my life, I saw it a lot in my life too. You go out and I'm just a duck hunter, but like it started to grow and grow and grow and you're out on the road and you're getting wined and dined and the entertainment and the parties and the hunts and the nightlife and the hunt camps and the concerts and the games and the VIP and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I am somebody. Yeah. And then I was knocked on my ass in a hurry. My dad, if my dad was alive, he would just look at me and go, you're an idiot. Yeah. What are you thinking? Right. And your dad would say the same shit. Yeah. But some people can't figure it. They don't figure it out until it's too late to yeah. where you got to stay so grounded, no matter how good you get that you're, you, the, the lights are going to go out. The party's mm-hmm. going to be over. The career's going to be done. Like you look at somebody like Jerry Rice that was used to catching those touchdown passes for that year. Of course, he still wants to be out there. Yeah. It messes with his mind all the time that he doesn't get to do that anymore. Yeah. But you have to be able to say, you know what? I did it. I'm, yeah, I'm here. Good, yeah. Let's go. Let's go do this. I'm going to go raise my family. I'm going to go swim with the kids. Yeah. Um, a lot of people get to the point to where they fight so much that the injuries that they, att- that they get or sustain or t- that it's detrimental to the way yep. that they, they can't even pick their kids up anymore or swim with their kids anymore. Yeah. So I think that when you're talking to those young kids, like uh, one, you don't want to scare them into like, Hey, you might not ever make it cause you're not a good enough fighter. But if you do happen to make it, I want you to think along these lines yeah. that you better stay grounded and don't let this life take you over because because it ruined me for a few years. Yeah. Not that I'm a fighter or some celebrity. I'm just saying that even in, in you the- You get into that lifestyle and- Yes. Yeah. You like want it. You seek it. And then when you get home, you're just like, holy shit, I'm just Chad Belding. Yep. What the hell's going on here? And that's who you should be. Yeah, yeah. 100%. But, but it's like, that you're oh man, when you're in the Bellator fight and then the meet and greets and you're the news and the, the belt around it and it's Ryan Bader, then you come back here and you're just Daisy's husband doing honeydews on yeah. Sunday. You got to make sure that you're freaking as fired up about that as you were for the yeah. Bellator life. Well, she whooped my ass too if I started right. coming back with a big head. You know, I think that's about having the right people around you. And we were talking about having like hanger honors, right? You have those people that are gone when you're not in the limelight anymore. You're not at those parties. You're not doing that kind of stuff. You know, I have my fun for sure, you know, but I I do, you know, I also bring my wife along. I I have fun with my friends that I've been friends with forever, family, that kind of stuff. And I feel like I've always been humble and uh, um, I was just taught that from an early age. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm not a huge shit talker and I'm, you know, I, I like to hang out with friends and family and, and do the different things and 
it was cool coming off of the ultimate fighter i was single you know and you had a little bit of celebrity i was 24 years old you know and you got to have fun here and there but i've been through a lot of that stuff and I, i've seen it from both angles i've i've been in crazy situations and all that and you know getting older too you kind of realize what what's important you know and for me is is the people you know friends and family um that genu genuinely support me love me and same back you know and, and being around those people you know and so um but I, I see people you know every day that you know live outside their means or coming up and they're being an athlete and and uh, then when it's gone you know it messes with their psyche for sure yeah. And I just, I've seen it so much in life to where I think that that's something that you really have to train for. You have to train your mind for it and you have to be ready for that because it does happen to you. You yeah. see, you see it in every genre of life where it just, the carpet is swept out from underneath you. And like George Strait, he's got like 64 number one hits. Yeah. And then he had to write a song two years ago called kicked out of country because country radio wouldn't play him anymore. Yeah. He wasn't George Strait. Now all of a sudden he's on the right. Now they're like, oh shit, we don't disrespect that man. Yeah. But you know, like he, that, that's at any time it can be taken away and, and gratitude and honesty and transparency and, yep. and, and, and hum humility is so important. Is, is humility one of the thing one of the traits that obviously you learn that at a young age, because yeah. I watch people approach you today in the restaurants, on the streets, you're open to talking. You don't take that celebrity and treat it or abuse it. And that's probably the underlying theme that we're talking about right here in the last few minutes yeah. is you, you start to abuse the lifestyle. Yeah. You don't have to be a drug addict to abuse the, the celebrity lifestyle. No, yeah, 100%. It can wreck you in a lot of other ways if you allow it. You seem like if your fight game was taken away from you tomorrow. Yeah, I'd be fine. You're good. I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I don't relish in that celebrity. If, you know, if people come up and, you know, they recognize you or whatever. It, for me, it's just like, I'm good at doing a certain thing and people just have to happen to follow it and like it. You know, I'm not going out there doing it because I want likes or I want uh, people to, to come up and get an autograph or anything like that at all. You know, I get kind of uncomfortable in those situations, you know. So for me, it's, uh, you know, it just, it's also kind of going back. It's, it's enjoying the moment, whatever you're in, whether you were saying you're in the pool with your kids or, you know, you're just at home hanging out, lounging. You know, I'm a guy that's revved up a lot and I like to be going constantly. I've been that way since I was a kid. That's probably why I'm successful, why I was successful in wrestling, why I'm successful in MMA. I don't have really an off switch. We go on vacation and I want to go, you know, sp spear fishing. I want to do like the high. I, and my wife's like, hey, let's just chill out for a day. I'm like, all right, it's hard for me. <laughs> it's hard. But, you know, you got to learn how to live in the moment and not everybody's like you too. And so I think... You know, that's kind of tough for some people, too, to turn that off. And so I try I try to do that a lot. And I try not to always, you, if you're being a fighter, you're always looking in the future. Like, all right, I got to fight in three months or I got to fight in five weeks. All right, now I got to fight in a week. And you're always looking that way. Okay, after the fight, I'll be a better, you know, husband, father, whatever. And I've, I've fallen into that trap where I'm always focused on that, you know, a while ago, years ago. And now I try to kind of live every day like, all right. Yes, that's one thing you do, but you're also a husband and father today, tomorrow, all the way up to that fight. And so don't put everybody else on the back burner and be selfish because you have something coming up. I like that. Yeah, so that, that's a big thing that a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot of fighters too, because it's not like, oh, I'm playing a game, and I got another game next week, whatever. You'll win or lose, and you just, I can get it back, right? A lot of training goes in, a lot of thought, 
a guy, you know, injuries, a guy could hurt you, and, uh, you know, your your career is based on it, right? And uh, they fall into that trap where, you know, years have gone by and they're constantly searching, like, all right, next fight, or thinking about that fight. You're three weeks out from this title defense against Chet Congo. He talked a little bit of smack. You wake up a day after, let's say, Monday morning, a few days from now, it's it's the fight makers. What is it called, the guy that makes the fights in a fight league? Matchmaker. Okay, the matchmaker from Bellator called you. says, dude, Chet Congo sprained his ankle yesterday. Um, we're bringing in Brock Lesnar. Does Ryan Bader say good, or do you say, nope, we got to lengthen this out, my training camp, I'm not prepared for Brock Lesnar? Uh, no, are I, you intimidated by Brock Lesnar? And if you are, why? If you're not, how the hell could you not be? Or is your fighting mentality just so keen that you're just like, I don't give a shit who's in there, I'm going to bust his ass? Well, number one, I'd be like, all right, so somebody's Drug coming. test him first? Yeah, if it's Brock, <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, he's coming in, he has three weeks to prepare for a fight. I've been preparing for eight weeks plus. I've known Good I've point. had this fight for a long time. I'm, I'm going to be way better shaped than him. Um, Brock Lesnar is a big old boy, you know, and uh, yeah, you're, I mean, at, at some level, you're always kind of a little intimidated by your your uh, opponent, you know, on a subconscious level or something. You're like, you're always sizing them up. You know, you're wondering, okay, what, you know, that that's some form of intimidation, right? Um, and he's doing the same to you. But I've been in there with the, who's who of MMA, literally every top guy, you know, and I've stood across from legends, future legends, everybody, champions, former champions, and uh, I loved every second of being in there. And so it doesn't matter the name now. Back in the day, I got my, I remember when I got my first big fight, only time I threw up before a fight, I uh, came off the Ultimate Fighter, won that, thought I was a big dog, and then got thrown into the UFC very bottom, right? Fought a couple fights, and then they offered me Keith Jardine, who just beat Chuck Liddell, you know, and weird style, you know, good striker, good heavy, you fight. know. And I was like, holy shit, all right. I'm like, we took the fight, and I'm like, I guess here we go. You know, I'm fighting these big names now. In Australia, 10 a.m. in the morning, I was feeling weird. I went and threw up, and, like, I couldn't feel right. And so I threw up just heavy into the toilet, I was like, oh, I feel a little better. Okay. And I went out there and I didn't know if I belonged, right? I didn't know if I belonged to these guys. And I went out there and he's like the herky jerky style. You know, he comes and throws two punches at me. And I'm like, fuck this. I belong here. I saw, I saw those punches. He, he's not bringing anything I haven't seen. I've been competing against world class athletes and wrestling my whole life. Let's just go win this fight. And so, end up third round, he came at me and I was winning that fight all the way up to, the, to that moment, but threw a right hand and then a left hook and knocked him out. You know, and from then on, I was like, you know, I belong here. It doesn't matter who they're going to put across from me. You know, I've stood across from everybody, you know, and, and one surreal experience was I was in Japan, Tokyo, Japan, fighting Rampage, who made his name over in Pride in Japan. He's standing across, and I'm like, pretty damn crazy, right? I'm, I'm, I grew up watching these guys, and I'm, I'm fighting them, you know, and then fast forward all the way to Fedor, you know, have my uh, hand on my heart, the national anthem's playing, and we're about to fight one of the legends in the sport, and so... I've been in there with everybody. It's a, you're going to be nervous. You're going to have different emotions, but I know I can compete with everybody, especially now. Back in the day, I might not have – I had the physical attributes, but maybe not the mental at, you know, attributes, and now I have everything in line where I can go in there and know I can beat anybody anytime. Who haven't you that you want to? Uh, fight? Of all time. Even if they're retired and you can't. But who's the one guy? So people that... ask me. It was definitely Fedor, for sure. Oh, was it, it before was that? It was Fedor, yeah. 
So I, I got to I got to live up to that. And the other guy would probably be uh, Shogun. I always I thought we'd always cross paths and be in two hundred five, you know, in the UFC, and we never did. And uh, I always thought that you know I, I came up watching those guys in Pride, and so you know Shogun was one of those guys where I'm like I'm gonna run across him, and then when you know went over to Bellator, it never happened. Um, but I got my I got my Fedor in, which I never thought would happen. And you dismantled him faster than he'd ever imagined. Like, did he ever contact you after? No, we, uh, we have a pretty, I mean, relationship, like a good relationship, whatever. Um, as far as when we're real cordial and you'll come talk to me when we see each other, because I remember at, uh, you know, during these grand prix, you know, he would just be in the corner, not saying a word, but he'd always come up and shake my hand, give me a little pat on the back, you know? And, uh, no, he's always been really cool. And so I, I saw him in the uh, lobby afterwards, went up and shook his hand, you know, and uh, with the language barrier, basically told him, you know, it was an honor. I respect him a ton, as is everybody here, you know, and it was it was an honor being in the cage with him. I wonder what he really felt like, though, not what he's, he's like. Different. Yeah. Well, I'm just fuck wondering, like, right like what, you know, like what, that whole mentality of like, I didn't even get the chance to fight. Yeah. I mean, that's Fedor. He's never been dismantled like that. I don't think. I don't think. I know he's been beat. Yeah. Matt Mitrion got him one time um, pretty quick. And he also knocked Matt, you know, Matt down when they both, it was basically whoever got up first was going to win that fight. Um, Who was the first guy that beat him? Got down his back and got him in the the triangle. That was uh, Verdum. Verdum, yeah. yeah. For, for in, uh, Strike Force. Yeah, that yeah. was like his first loss ever, right? Yeah, and you could tell that was eating him up. Yeah, you know? um, yeah, he's a scary dude, but you know, and he's one of those guys where, like, for you know, going in for that first round, you're gonna go through hell. He might tire out later on, maybe, you know, maybe, but um, you're walking into a buzzsaw. You can't just go in and take him down. You know, Chell tried to take him down, and he got thrown on his head, you know. So it's one of those fights where, like, okay. Is he as strong as you physically? Who's that? Fedor. I don't know. You really don't? We didn't get to tie up at all. Well, have you ever heard, like, his physical strength? Like, if Chell can't – Chell's a world-class wrestler. Yeah. I mean, or, I mean, I, we have – like, in wrestlers, too, we have different – you know, Chell likes to kind of shoot a real shot. I like to blow through people. If I don't get it, I'm still on my feet, all good. But – um yeah, I mean, he's got to be strong. I know he's strong when he's, uh, you know, that first round when he has that stamina in him. Yeah, he's definitely strong. He has really strong hips, and that's why he can knock people out. So in a day of age where politics plays such a role, public relations plays such a role in the decisions that a lot of athletes make, the things that are being said about Jay-Z right now getting hired by the NFL, the things that have been said about people that, that go against the norm, like they're not afraid to show their true selves. I know that... I know several country music mus musicians that do things in life that they don't showcase, whether it's on social media, their live show, they don't talk about it because they got to play both sides of the fence. Oh, yeah. They might have some Democrats over here and Republicans over here, but they want to sell records, they want to sell tickets, and they want to sell merchandise. You're not afraid to let the world know that you shoot guns, that you defend yourself and your home and your family. You're not afraid to show people that you harvest and shoot wild game, elk yeah. and deer, and then eat the bounty with your friends and family why don't why well, aren't you even, I got, sometimes i like going to the point where like i have to toe that line sometimes I, I i guess i don't have to but like i grew up hunting right from reno nevada you know outdoors came down here same deal in arizona some of the best big game hunting you know in in on the planet um but i i still like 
reserved about what I put on social media. Like shooting, I don't care. You know, um, you know, I, it's a good hobby. I, I have fun with it. You know, I, I do a lot of training, you know, and whatnot with different people. Um, but still, I, I, I'll put a turkey up every once in a while. I did like last time, but it, oh, you just hear it get a huge backlash on it, you know, and I still haven't put up like, you know, I'll put up pictures on like maybe a story or something of an elk or whatever, but I've never like posed with an elk because of the backlash you're going to get on like, I guess you're going to get that regardless. And I get sh people shit talking if I put a picture with my kids up, you know? Um, so I shouldn't worry as much, but you still have to toe that line. Why? Like you were who, saying. who are you protecting? I don't know. It's a good question. But I'm I'm being serious. Yeah. Like you're 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 the heavyweight champion of the world. You're gonna that place is gonna be sold out in San Jose in fifteen in three weeks. Yeah. Who are you got a sponsor that doesn't want you to and I'm just no, I'm yeah. just wondering like what the repercussions I look like a guy at a guy like Mendez that said I don't give a shit. Like yeah. he gets he's got so many haters because he hunts and shows yeah. it. I understand it. I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Yeah. Why would somebody with your mentality and fighting and you're this roughneck mentality of yeah. throwing human being big men around, why would you care about what some 165 pound hippie with Birkenstocks and Ashton <laughs> Oregon thinks? Yeah, no, I mean, you're spot on with that. I would say maybe some sponsors might be kind of weirded out here and there. And, you know, I told myself too, I was going to put more of like, I don't really give a shit anymore and put more out of what I want to. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know even why I mess with the trolls sometimes and go back and forth with I them. I do too. I'm just you know, it's just one of those things. And uh, like what my wife said too, she's like, you should just post whatever you want from here on out, you know, because, you know, the I, one. I had this mentality until I got scripted or schooled on it. And tell me what you think of this is. Yeah. I cannot stand when hunters disrespect animals. I yeah. cannot handle somebody saying F a coyote because they think he's just a pet killer. No, that coyote is the most adaptable, badass hunter in the continent yep. of the United States. Probably number three or four in the world of hunters. We moved into their land and then we expect them not to want to defend their territory, right? It's yeah. like, don't say that. Oh, I kill every rattlesnake I see. Why? They're good for our ecosystem. Are you eating them? Yeah. Because I don't kill every rattlesnake I see. I'm not threatened by them. We can pick them up and relocate them, whatever. I'm not saying that I'm a pansy by any means, but yeah. I, I don't like seeing somebody showcase a kill, throwing ducks around. I saw one guy put sunglasses on a baboon that he killed in Africa. And I'm like, yeah. none of that's cool. No. None of that is good to disrespect the animal. And I look at it like if I'm going to celebrate the hunt, I'm going to clean up the blood. I'm going to take a nice, classy picture. I am not afraid to show my trophy, or yeah. that word might not be the right word, but my my harvest of that day, whether it's a few ducks with some buddies, I was educated on this. Everything in this life comes with a cost. Mm -hmm. So if your sponsors or if my sponsors or whatever it is are like, well, we don't want you to show that death, I'm like, why? Well, we might offend the vegetarians that are buying our, 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 our tickets to our fights, whatever. I look at it like, well, everything that that vegetarian needs, something came with a cost to get those vegetables to them. The rodents that were tilled up in the land yeah. and the cropland. So you know what I'm saying, Bader's? Like, oh, yeah. Everything in life comes with a cost. And I think it's our job as hunters. Yeah. And you, with your platform that you're on, what a better voice than a clean cut educated family man with a loving wife and kids that he takes care of with his heart, a mom and dad that raised him the right way, yeah. a person that, that, that has friends that will have his back and he'll have their back. What a better voice than to say, Hey, look, you don't have to agree with hunting, but here's why we do it. We like 
to shoot our food. Everything, those cows that you're eating and those chickens that you're eating that we ate today at Dirk's Bailey's, yeah. they came with a cost. Oh, yeah, 100%. So I think, like, I'm looking at it more like, let's educate them that, yes, it is cool to be organic now, and it is cool to live off the land now. Hippies are taking credit for it. Yeah. No, hunters have been doing it oh, for hundreds of years. Yeah. So I, all I'm saying is, and I'm just playing devil's yeah, advocate a good pep because I, I, I get with I get what you're saying is yeah. like, holy shit, man! I'm showing this animal dead just because I'm being paid to be a hunter, but I really am cautious too. Yeah. I won't just post a picture of a bunch of blood and guts because I'm not disrespectful to those animals. They are the number one thing in the world that makes hunting go round yep. period. The compassion that I and most hunters have for the animals that we chase and harvest, the amount of money that we spend in conservation and mm -hmm. habitat and the efforts that we put forth, elbow grease included to make sure that those animal populations are secure. There's a reason why the Canada goose population, the Rocky mountain elk population, the wild Turkey population yep. in the United States is at an all time high. There's a reason why we have more ducks in the flyaways than ever before because of the heart of a hunter. You have a heart as a hunter to do what you do. Now, if you don't go out and shoot that elk, he's going to die from a wolf eating his Achilles tendons out, Achilles tendons out and keeping him alive for weeks to keep the blood pumping through his meat. Yeah. And he's going to live a gory, or he's going to die a gory, gory death. One bullet passing through his lungs, double lunged and running 45 yards is the best way that that elk can hope to die. Because tomorrow, a pack of wolves or a grizzly bear might take him down. Yep. Or disease if the population gets too extent. So what I'm saying is that we don't have to defend ourselves that we hunt. Yeah. But when I ask you that question, you're like, well, sometimes I walk that line. I'm always like, if you did it right, I just want that. I just can't think of a better voice of somebody of, of your upbringing and what you do and what you portray of yeah. saying, look, I do hunt. Here's why. Here's how. Let's go shooting and let's see if you don't want to come back and do it again. Yeah. It's just kind of coming out and doing that first one. Right. Then you can, then you're kind of open and free from there. And I guess uh, I'm gotten a lot better of not caring what people think, you know, because um, obviously you're going to have people talking shit regardless. Right. And, and you know, I posted a picture of uh, um, a turkey that I shot in May and, uh, you know, had a lot of support. But then I had other people. And I mean, I remember this one lady was just on me it's in Brazil. She's like, why do you, why would you have to shoot living animal and blah, blah, blah. And it was you know on me and I was going back and forth with her. You know, and then, uh, um, you know, so that was kind of like put my foot in the water a little bit. You dip know? those toes. Dip, dip I think toes. it's cool that you, I think it's cool that you can live a life and eat broccoli. Like that broccoli we ate no, today, yeah. but I can't eat it. With, I can't I have friends not that eat meat. Vegan, uh, that's vegetarian, fine with me. whatever. That's yeah, fine. Run with it. Yeah. I love gardens. Yeah. I love green thumbs. I love people that can do that. He yeah. does it. Raises chickens, sells their eggs, grows a garden. What a better, what a cooler way to live. Yeah. He got a, a message one time because our, our, his son, my nephew, uh, harvested his first coyote. We believe in predator management too. Yep. We're not afraid of it. Not afraid to say it. We believe in predator management, but we also respect coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions. You know how many cougars and the devastation that they have on our deer and deer populations and elk populations in the West United States. A lady writes in and says, this is perfect. Thank you for raising the next generation of mass shooters. <laughs> because this this eight year old harvested a coyote with his dad in camouflage out in the uh, out in the mountains of northern Nevada, and, and she he's, and he's with his dad learning the life lessons, learning and, life lessons in the respect, building that bond. But and he's, he's a future be, yeah. mass shooter. I want like I'm not going to respond because yeah. she ain't worth my time. He does because he's a little he's whatever you know hothead whatever you want to call it. 
maybe that's not the right description, but he's just not going to hold back on yeah. something. Even though you could talk to that girl until you're blue in the face. Oh, it's not going to matter. And it's not going to matter. But for somebody to get on a keyboard and hide behind probably a fake name, yeah, just like they do with your haters, yep. and you get on these public forums, and there's no way that Ryan Bader's the best heavyweight of all time. He's like the... A keyboard muscle and the ability to reach people with this instant messaging and these direct messages and this social media, it's pussified America in a way, in my opinion, to where, uh, um, Tim Sylvia out of everybody posted a post the other day about this cartoon where this, this bully's laying on his ass and, or somebody's laying on his ass and the kid says, he, he thought he was on Facebook. He thought he was on Facebook. Did you see that? Yeah, punched him in the face. And he went, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the mentality is that you can get away with anything and not be held accountable. Oh, yeah. So the, all of those haters and all of the keyboard muscle, it used to irk me, man. Yeah. I got one here. I'll show you one right now. And you, watch, watch this. I'm going to show you and I'll show both of you. This photo shoot was from, I'm going to say nine years ago. And I get this yesterday from a sponsor. This photo shoot's nine years old. Yeah. I get this yesterday from a sponsor. They post this on their story. I have no idea who it is, but they took my likeness from a photo shoot nine years ago and they put, I know it's not duck season, but he's a 365 kind of douche. <laughs> yeah, I got, I, I mean, I got sunglasses on. I'm in an alley. I'm, I'm doing things my way. Yeah. I wasn't a redneck up against a tree with a red man in, which I love all that too. Yeah. I was doing things different back when we started banded and started the foul life. Sue me. So nine years later, these dudes are oh, still yeah. going on the internet and hating on something. I think, or what I've been told Bader is that that means it's working. Yeah, true. They're, they're talking about you. So I just think like the haters in this, the way it is, it's like almost educate them, talk to them a little bit, or we're, we're available. We're out in physical appearances. Nobody's ever come up to me oh, in a appearance no. and, yeah. and said, Hey Bader, I'm going to whip your ass for shooting a Turkey. Nobody's going to do that. Hell no. But the ability to get on these forums and these message boards and stuff, it makes it easy for them to be a hater. All I'm saying is that if you could educate somebody or they get to sit down with you and understand what kind of person you are and what kind of heart you have and the love that was in this gym today for you and the love yeah. that you had, even the guy that you were beating the shit out of him today, walked up to you and kissed you on the forehead after and said, thank you. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. our job to make sure that we are good voices and good upstanding people of saying this, we are hunters, we are fighters. Because fighters for a lot, that's where I was going with that whole tap out deal and the shit talk. Fighting for a long time, MMA for a long time was outlawed in so many areas yeah, of this country. and all that. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, same with hunting. Hunting is looked down as this mass murdering future yeah. mass shooters. It's terrible. And I just think that somebody like you needs to be, and I'm not telling you what to do. So don't no, tell you that. I don't want you yeah. to come across this table, dude. If no, you do, you I might have a surprise. No, I mean, on even you. though you're saying that, like <laughs> I, I was saying, I, I was kind of dipping my toes with that turkey, you know, and uh, um, even I wouldn't have done that in, in the past. I, I, you know, my, my, uh, some of my family was into rodeo and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I posted. That's abusive to animals. Yeah. I posted a picture on a horse. I was roping. Man, like backlash like that, you know, but. We got to the point where now in my career, like, what do I have to, what do I have to prove to these people? You know, uh, I'm 36 years old. I used to really care what people thought. And, and if I did, and if I kept that up, you know, like I said, I have people talking shit on pictures of my kids, you know, then I, I'm going to drive myself crazy just worrying about what everybody else thinks, you yeah. know? So, you know, so jealousy and envy. to your point, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting back, getting in there, kind of, you know, putting it out there, what I like, what I wanted, you know, 
want to post and whatever. But of course, you're it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it it's is. Crazy it's crazy with people with the ability to reach you like that and you know get a response. That's all they want. They want a response. From if they you. were around you and saw what you did to that big Brazilian today, they would never ever have the balls or the guts to say anything. And that's yeah. the difference. Well, is, they wouldn't do it to anybody. Really, they wouldn't say that to anybody they saw walking down the street nobody. either because they're, great they're scared of physical confrontation and they point. they can hide behind their computer. Yeah, I mean that's what. You know, I mean, literally any, if you look at any celebrity, any sports figure, anything like you got any, anybody that has a presence on social media, people are, take time out of their day, whether they're following you or they, they run across you to post something on your page, you know, and like you were saying, you know, that the haters and the people that love you, you know, they're all, they're all kind of the same. They're putting eyeballs on, on your, your business, your, you know, your sport or whatever. If there's somebody that has mastered it, in my opinion, is Joe Rogan. If you listen to his podcast and see the diversity yeah. in his guests, he's got liberals. He's got Bernie Sanders on yeah. there. He's got Republicans. He's got business owners. He's got fighters. He's got, yep. and then he's posting. He's posted pictures with an elk. Now yeah. he posts a lot of elk being cooked. And he's doing it right of saying, look, man, I, I, I eat a high protein, low fat, good fat diet. Yep. Here's how I do it. People have flocked to it, man. Yeah. It's he, like, man, He's probably brought more people into elk hunting than, it, you know, anybody. It, yeah, it's he could, awesome. I mean, what does he have? 90 million people download his podcast? I don't month, know what you know? it is, but it's a lot, dude. It's crazy. And then, yeah, he, you know, he had Bernie Sanders and he has, you know, the meat eater guys on there and yeah, he's got everything Rennell in between. You know? Yeah, he's got Dudley from Knock On. Yeah. He's a hunter. Yep. And, he's, and he doesn't blast it. He doesn't abuse it. He just, he talks about it and he educates people on it. Like, this is why I do it. And, you know, that whole everything comes with a, 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 a cost was brought up by one of the, you know, my friend Remy Warren. I don't know if you've heard of Remy Warren. Yeah, he's I've a, heard of him. You know, Dan Sutton. From Reno, right? Yeah, he's a stud. Yeah. And he's part of the Meat Eater crew. He's actually got a new podcast called Cutting the Distance. I'm part of the Meat Eater, man, Stephen Rennell is sharp. But yeah. that, that, all I'm saying is that you are in a position to where you can do a good thing because I see it even like in social media when we post pictures, they get like outlawed, vetoed quick. Like our, I don't care about likes. I don't want people to take that, but you could, you see a when there's blood and there's uh you know, dead animals, you see a drastic drop because those analytics and those guys can like, yeah. What are they called? Algorithms. They yeah. can like tie it up to where it doesn't be seen by anybody. Yep. They oh, can yeah. if they want, just like if it's an advertisement, they can do it when there's death yep. and involved in there. And then, and then a lot of times like Instagram will even blur it and say sensitive content. You can tap on yep. it if you want to see it, you know, like it's gotten harder and I, I shouldn't say it's gotten harder, but being a hunter comes with a lot of responsibility you to carry that flag. Consistently defend yourself all the time. Yeah. And maybe, you know, a lot of times when people are like, and maybe that's where I kind of come from too. I was like, I don't even want to deal with that. Right. It's not bad. But, it's not a bad way. But, to um, but like I said, too, to your point, you know, I have been dabbling a little bit more, you know, posting stuff to my stories. We were on an elk hunt with my buddy. Um, first time he wanted to go hunting. He drew first year, late rifle. We took him out. He had an absolute blast. He said one of the best experiences he's ever had in his life, you know, posted some stuff from that. But um, um, definitely uh, going to do a little more. Yeah. You remember back in the back before the whole sponsor shakeup at the UFC with Reebok and everything. There was several fighters that had hunting companies on their shorts. Yep. Did you ever? Yeah, no, I had to, uh, I had to change a few things, you know, when we got on Fox, you know, and, uh, um, you know, even now we're, we're on with Bellator's owned by Viacom. Yeah. And so, you know, I have like black rifle coffee. It was one of my sponsors, you know, and we can't have the rifle on there. It's gotta be, I had to tape it over on my shorts a couple of times in my banner, really? you know? And so, you know, it said, 
you know, the big media, you know, they don't want anything like that. Yeah, there was no, in Fox, there was no hunting, there was no weapons, um, plus a ton of other stuff, but you can have that on. I know your time is valuable. I know that Bellator's in town filming you. Um, this episode will air after tomorrow night's fight. So let's see how good of a fight predictor you are. DC, um, Stipe, part two. Last time they go in, middle of the octagon, dirty boxing comes up. DC's a world-class Olympic wrestler. Yeah. Comes from your school of, of training. Not, you know, physically like the same coaches or anything, but wrestling. Dirty boxing lands that little hook deal, that little cross, and knocks him out and gets down a couple more on the ground. Fight's called. He's a heavyweight champion of the world. Does the same thing happen in the rematch? Does Stipe get it back to even? What happens? Man, I don't know. Um, it's hard for me, too, because, you know, I've been out there training with Stipe. He's a good, good dude. Uh, but it's hard to go. It's hard to pick against Cormier right now with him getting that win the first time. Um, Stipe was hitting hitting them pretty good uh, with some one-twos, and then all of a sudden Cormier started taking over a little bit, hitting him with some jabs, hitting him with some right hands, and then kept tying him up. And I just feel as the fight goes on, you know, Stipe can go out there and knock him out for sure anytime. Um, but it's knowing Stipe also, it's, it's real tough for me to say that, but it's hard to go against Cormier. You know, watching the last fight and knowing that Cormier has that wrestling, has the ability to go five rounds however hard he needs to. Um, I don't think he's going to – I think it's going to be – go five rounds, and I think uh, um, Cormier is going to win a decision. If Cormier I, decision. If I was goal. to bet, you know, I want Stipe to win. I want him to go out there and knock him out. But if I'm if I'm putting money based on the last fight, what I saw in that fight, and they just reran it, so I watched it again. That's if I was a betting man, that's what I'd bet on. Five round decision, unanimous or split to Cormier. Unanimous. Unanimous to Cormier in five with his ability to wrestle, his ability to put pressure and hold his weight because he's a bigger dude. Um, he did. He never looks like he's in shape, but he is. Oh, he's in shape. He, for he's sure. yeah. strong and he's in shape with his ability to do what he does. His mental approach, his mental toughness as an Olympic and, and college wrestler, is it a stigma that he has with John Jones to allow John Jones to do what he's done to him with the results that DC gets against everybody else, in your opinion? Is there a stigma there, like a mental block? No, because, like you know, the first fight was pretty, I mean, Jones won, right? It was a close fight. It was somewhat close. You know, in the second fight, Cormier was looking awesome. He was going in there putting the pressure on him. And uh, Jones is a smart fighter, and he uses physical attributes very, very well. And, uh, you know, and they even talked about it. Jones was like, said something to Cormier, and Cormier was like, before the fight, he was like, oh, you, I know where my hole's at. You know, you think you're going to get me with your left high kick? No, it's not, you know, I, I fixed that hole, right? And sure enough, Jones comes up, like, with a little fake, like, kind of teep, like he's, you know, kicking him in the belly straight on, but turns his hips over and kicks him in the face when Cormier's hands are down. And followed up and knocked him out. Um, you know, I, ju I just think that it's, it's a – he doesn't – you match up with people differently, right? And Cormier just doesn't really match up with Jones that well. Um, but then again, he can go out there. I think Corm I think Cormier can beat Jones. Really? I do. I really do. I hope they fight but again. Will they fight at heavyweight? They I don't, have I don't to think fight they're going to fight anymore. You don't think so ever? Jones is not going to fight him at heavyweight. He said – he came out and said that. Cormier is not going to go down 205. 
Yoel Romero and Paulo Costa in the middleweight tomorrow night. I love the way Romero fights. I just yeah. he's a stud wrestler. He was a bronze medalist for Brazil. Uh, I think gold. He oh, gold. he was gold. Yeah, he was gold. He's a stud. Oh, he's one of the best wrestlers. What he did to uh, was it Rockhold in that last yeah. round when he knocked him out. Yeah, and I remember just the way Rockhold treated him after the fight when he was trying to show love to yeah. him. He wouldn't even look at him. Like yeah. Rockhold just kept looking up to the left. But who wins the that fight? I got Yoel experience, and then uh, the other guy's a stud, but. It's hard to go against wrestling, you know, in that level. Um, Romero is explosive. He's got really good takedowns, and uh, he's good everywhere. You know, he's like a little ball of muscle, and uh, so is the other guy. But I think uh, experience kind of plays a little bit. He's so you got you well. Fights. I got you well. In. Um, I'll go TKO. TKO. Yeah. All right. Last one of this card, and then I got one more fight for you. Pettis Diaz on Nate's return. You got an athlete in Pettis that's the 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 off the octagon kick he threw on Henderson several years back. His backflips, his yeah. his unorthodox kicks, his elbows, his spinning elbow. He's got a lot of John Jones in him a little bit, in my opinion. Diaz is a different fighter. He's a shit talker. He's yep. he is in such good shape that it's hard to break him. He bleeds a lot, but he doesn't feel pain, as he says. Um, can Diaz beat him in his return to the UFC, or does Pettis ruin his comeback? Uh, I shouldn't call it a comeback. I yeah, guess Diaz has been off for a lo- for a long time. He's a volume guy. He always has a cardio right, but I think Pettis is going to go in there. He's going to light up his leg. You know, Diaz gets kicked a lot with from Connor to like go back to the. Rafael Dos Anjos fight when he just ate Diaz's leg up, you know, and I think Pettis is going to win a decision. You're not, you know, you're going to have to knock Diaz out, get him to get out of there. It's a three-round fight. Um, if it was five, I'd, it would be a little different, I think, but I think Pettis goes in there, wins a decision, kicks him a lot, breaks him down, starts, uh, you know, puts puts some big shots on him while Diaz is putting the, those jabs in his face and uh, wins the fight. Pettis in a three-round decision. Yep. Okay, last fight. Ryan Bader, Chet Congo in three weeks, Bellator, heavyweight title defense. This is your first title defense. Yep. For heavyweight. What I don't I don't we don't need to know your game plan because I don't want to give any of that away. What I kind of already know it in yeah. a way, not to a T, but what's the outcome? Not in an arrogant way, not yeah, shit no, talking because I know you don't talk shit. Um the way I, I see it playing out, second round TKO. Who wins? Me, what you think? Come on. <laughs> when I, I came love out, you was Second round TKO, Chet Congo. Yeah. I mean, you over Chet Congo yeah, yeah. against Chet Congo. Wow. Yeah. I like it. Bold. Yeah. So I will call you, obviously, to congratulate you after your win. I'll call you on Sunday or Monday to see how these results are after tomorrow night. 100%. I kind of have it the same way, but if a weird something weird in me wants Diaz to win. Yeah. It's weird. Like, he makes me feel like that, even though, like, yeah. he's got this marijuana stigma and he's listening to Cypress Hill, who I love. Yeah. 93, McQueen High School. I'm older and you don't age me. <laughs> Just insane in the membrane. When, yeah. that, when, that, when that CD came out, I've always been a B-Real and a Cypress Hill fan, but he's got that whole, that San Jose, what's the Stockton slap, uh, yeah. he calls it. And no, he's, he's just, fun to watch. He's, Both those guys in there, you know, that's why it's a uh, kind of a super fight right now. I like, um, I like. But I think Pettis has been in there. He just had a great fight um, with Tony Ferguson. Um, he looked good in that fight too. And I, I think in a three round fight, if it was five, I, I would, I would kind of be Go leaning the maybe the other way. But three round fight at Pettis. 
Did you see Diaz light up the cigarette or whatever it was yesterday yeah, when he went to open workouts? Yeah. Well, man, I what appreciate it. I was looking at that and I was like, is that legal? You know, the last time I saw that done, I was, uh, I don't, I don't remember the year. I'm going to say it was probably 2005, six. I was at the MGM grand for De La Hoya against my Orga. Yeah. And they showed this huge, big screen in the arena. You talk about electricity, dude, in the fight days back in Vegas, yeah. like oh, it yeah. is for you. But they showed his, his limousine ride to the, to the arena at the MGM grand garden arena. He was smoking a cigarette in the limousine and I'm looking at him going, you're fighting arguably the the best in, in the a couple world. hours, and De La Hoya destroyed him, dude. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, dude, that'll teach you ever to be uh, that no. arrogant again. I hope that doesn't happen to Diaz, yeah. but you don't light up a little wacko tobacco or whatever. Yeah, that just doesn't. I don't know, like your image and everything. Like, I get it. Not everybody's yeah. going to be a role model. Not everybody takes on that thing, but I don't know. I just think that there's a way to respect the fight game, and I don't think that lighting up something that causes lung cancer is a yeah. way to respect. But anyway, I'm not on a soapbox. I'm just saying something that he does makes me want him to win. Yeah. No matter what he does, I just like I cheer for freaking Nate Diaz. I don't know why I do, but we'll I'm see. taking him over That's Pettis, a, even though Pettis is a stud. That's why they fight. But I'm going to have you sign these Bellator gloves for the man cave. I want to invite you to the pool party tomorrow, but you can't come because to, it's, but, yeah. next time you're in Reno, I want you to bring our our brother over here from Bellator and uh, all the hard work they did today. It was awesome seeing it. I can't wait for the fight. Second round knockout ch against Chet Congo, Ryan Bader with a TKO. Congratulations, first and foremost, on your family, Daisy and the kids. Yep. Awesome to see. Your mom and dad, your grandpa, mm -hmm. everybody back in Reno, awesome family. Thank you. Great high school, ASU wrestling career, and then all of a sudden it all just went went gangbusters after you Keep win the rolling. Ultimate Fighter. Keep it rolling. Whip this dude's ass. Let him talk the shit. You back it up. Fake the double A. I'm just giving you some advice. <laughs> <laughs> Fake the double A. Come over right here. Yep, just do it. Ryan Bader, congratulations, bro. Thank you for being thank on you, the podcast, man. My pleasure. You're, you're a pleasure to be a friend with, and I'm humbled to know you, and I, and I want you to keep kicking ass, man. We'll go on a hunt this fall. Hell yeah. Canada, you, me, Dan Henderson, Clay, Leith Lofton, up at Buck Paradise Outfitters with Grant Kuypers, October 2019. Be there or be square. All you got to do is show up in your underwear. I'll have Sounds the rest. Like that wasn't meant to sound like that. You are talking you about my is, body earlier. Now you want to come. <laughs> No. People are going to be like, what is this guy really <laughs> down here for? Ryan Bader, that's awesome. Today's episode, again, was brought to you by our friends at Mojo Outdoors down in West Monroe, Louisiana. Monroe, Louisiana, for that fact. Check them out for all of your spinning wing needs, all of your predator needs, your turkey needs. They got it going on down there, mojooutdoors.com. We are coming at you from Ryan Bader's gym right down here around Phoenix, Arizona. He's got a big fight coming up in three weeks against Chet Congo in the Bellator MMA Fighting League. A fighting, what do you call it? Is it a organization? It organization? But he's the man, guys. Check him out at Ryan Bader. Instagram. He lives a heck of a life. He's fearless. He's got a great family. Cheer him on. Support what he's got going on and cheer for him coming up against Chet Congo. I'm out of here. Thank you, Clay, for producing this. Thank you, for Bellator, for letting us hang around today. Thank you, Ryan Bader and everybody at the gym. It was nice seeing CB and all of the guys today. Tom Rashashin, hit that button. Play that song by our man, Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?